if I had a nickel for every time I mentioned old school or old time hockey during one of my podcasts, I'd have a lot of nickels. But today, it's true. We are going real old school today. So old school that my guest today played against the likes of Gordy Howe and Bobby Hall. My guest today is the one and only Kevin Devine. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So this is episode 43, and uh, I hope you people enjoy this episode. This episode is, I had uh, hinted a little bit at it at the end of episode 42, um, and it really lived up to all my expectations. I I hope I held up my end of the bargain, to be honest with you. Uh, Today's episode is with Kevin Devine. You may or may not be familiar with him. I'll brief you a little bit on his career in a moment. But first, if you're listening to the show, if you're new and this is your first time, thank you very much for joining me. I hope that you enjoy the content. And if you are a returning listener, as always, thank you. I appreciate the return listen. Please tell your friends. uh, No better way for the show to grow than for satisfied I get customers. Customers doesn't really make sense. This uh, is a free show. Obviously, I couldn't imagine charging anyone for this. But um, if you like the content and you tell your friends and and uh, what was that old uh, was it Herbal Essences, I think, in the 70s. And they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on. So I know I'm dating myself right now. Um, and many of you probably have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, word of mouth that uh, doesn't hurt, you know, social media whatever but if you enjoy the show please tell your friends and uh ask them i found out today that one of my friends has a friend who listens to the show i had no idea it's uh, it's always nice to know that there's someone on the other end of the speaker there and hopefully they're enjoying the content so um if you do enjoy the content please subscribe to the show that would be great Uh, like i always say um if once you subscribe you get the content immediately once it's uploaded Um, for whatever reason, I I know definitely with Apple, because that's how I listen to my shows. Um, if you don't subscribe, it takes several hours to upload to the, to the uh, site. I don't know why I don't care to find out, but I know once I hit upload today, it'll be on there instantly for subscribers. And if you don't subscribe, you won't get it till tomorrow at some point, I imagine. But 
why not subscribe if you like the content it'll be there maybe it's a nice surprise you're you know go you open up your podcast app there it is why not right it, it, it's one click to hit subscribe so uh, please do that and uh, if you don't mind uh, a few other clicks um, if you could uh, like the show, rate the show, and review the show, it really helps. Um, I think it puts me uh, at a certain level that I appear in searches. People search for hockey or Islanders or uh, whatever. However it works, I don't know. It's really not anything I'm too familiar with. But I know the more ratings and the reviews I get, I think it helps out. So if you have a moment to please do that, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. If you're on social media and nowadays who isn't, uh, on Twitter, I have a personal account at Joe underscore Lozito, and the account for the show is at Kali Sinbin Pod. Uh, go ahead and uh, give me a follow on both accounts. I will follow you back. Um, like I, I always say, you we all have those friends who in 2016 became political experts, and then in 2020 they added a medical expert to their um, their resume. So they know everything about politics. They know everything about medicine now, and that's all they post about. If you want some more lighthearted stuff, I would definitely recommend my accounts, especially if you're a fan of the show. I hate to use the word fan of the show. I'm going to say friend of the show. Um, and you like the content, basically everything on the uh, Kali Sinbin account is uh, Islander Enforcer related. And most of the stuff on my uh, personal account is sports related, not too, too much uh, serious business going on there so if you uh if you're interested go ahead hit the follow button and uh, i'll follow you right back on facebook facebook.com slash coliseum chronicles podcast similar content to what you're going to find on the collie sinbin pod account on twitter everything that uh an islander enforcer fan or just an enforcer fan in general uh would be interested in um like i said nothing too serious uh fights birthdays and actually this interview came to fruition based on one of my birthday posts, and I will get into that later. Uh, Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. You get the idea. Same content that's on the Facebook page, same content on the Coliseum Bin Pod Twitter account. Not everyone's on all platforms, so if you are, definitely follow, uh, like, whatever it is that you do on, on the platforms. I get confused sometimes with all these things, but uh, anything I can do to reciprocate, I will. And uh, like I said, it uh, it gives you a break from all your uh, friends who know everything about politics and medicine now that uh, they get all their education from memes. Don't and and you know what you're doing right now. You're nodding because we all have them, and it's fucking ridiculous. But anyway, if you're interested in Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise, and really who isn't, um, Teespring.com/stores/Coliseum-Chronicles-Merchandise. Merch, not merchandise, merch. But anyway. I, I said that too quickly, not going to do it slow because all you have to do is scroll down to the uh, episode description of the episode you're listening to right now, and there will be a direct link to that merchandise page. You can order all your Coliseum Chronicles merchandise on that page. I do not believe you will get anything in time for Christmas, Christmas now, uh, but, you know, hey, late Christmas gifts. Uh, you could be early for next year, and and you know, like I said, a lot of places now it's chilly. We got snow here this week. We had a nor'easter. Um, I, I don't where I live. We maybe got seven, eight inches, maybe not nothing too serious. It, it's a pain. It's a pain in the ass more than anything, shoveling this shit and driving in it. Uh, but there were places even on Long Island that got hit a lot worse than where I live. So, um, you know, but it's cold. So get yourself a hoodie. 
uh, get yourself a regular sweatshirt. If you're someone like me that um, doesn't, I don't want to say I don't believe in winter, but I'm one of those guys, you know, when you, you go out in the middle of January and you see that guy wearing shorts. Yeah, that's me. Uh, so I don't have shorts. I don't know why I don't have shorts. I should look into that. But T-shirts, tank tops, you get leggings for your lady. Um, you know, you get onesies for your babies. Lots of different stuff on there. And um, like I said, just check out that merchandise site. Now, every week I do a listener-exclusive discount. This is not anything I publish on the internet, on any of the social media. And normally it is a 20% discount. But I'm not going to do any shows for the rest of the year. Um, I'll get into that also, uh, but until January 4th of 2021, use the discount code Santa S A N T A, and you will get 25% off anything in the store. And like I said, uh, usually the codes are good for a week, but I think the next episode I'm going to release is going to be in two weeks. So um, that code will be good. 25% off for two weeks in the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box team store, team store uh, merchandise site. All of a sudden I'm a team. I'm a team of one. But uh, yeah, so check that out. Use that discount code. You get 25% off. And when you go to that site, and you look at that logo, and you're like, holy shit, that's a good fucking logo. Yeah, it is. That logo was drawn up by local Long Island artist and artistic genius Joe Marisich. And if you're interested in hiring Joe for any art projects you may have, you can hit him up at GraphicsJoker on Twitter or at LoudEgg.com. Joe is available for hire. Uh, he's been posting some uh, different types of art lately on his social media, kind of give you an idea. He's not just a tune artist. He can do uh, all different kinds of art. I know if I had some extra cash around, I'd probably hire him to do some uh, different things around the house, uh, but uh, I don't. Uh, I've been out of work since May, but that has nothing to do with anything. But Joe is amazing. If I was going to hire someone to do original artwork for my house, it would be Joe Marisic, and you should too. Once again, Graphics Joker on Twitter, loudegg.com. Now, you know what's going to happen. You know probably the busiest day of any gym's cycle, New Year's Day, because that's when everyone does their New Year's resolutions. I think we all know it. And if you're on Long Island or in the surrounding boroughs and you're looking to get in shape, there is no better place than Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. They are open seven days a week. Classes are available for men, for women, for children. Private training sessions are also available. Um, every level of athlete trains there. There are professional fighters such as John Volante, Gregor Gillespie, Andre Harrison, Adam Kaunachki. They train there. Uh, the list of professional fighters who have trained there over the years is quite long. And there's a lot of names on there you know. But the bread and butter of this gym is like the bread and butter of every gym. Regular folks like you and I. And um, it, is a, it is a wonderful, wonderful place to train. It really is an old school style gym. Uh, I always enjoy myself um, when I, I don't really go there anymore. But uh, that's more because of me. Uh, they won't, No, I'm just kidding. No, it is a great place to train. Keith Trimble is one of the owners and he's one of the trainers there and uh, you've heard me mention him before keith is an unbelievable human being and he is the best in the business when it comes to training so really i guess the question is why haven't you checked in with them yet but now here's your chance to get a free class 
Call Belmore Kickboxing and MMA at 516-679-5997. Ask for Keith Trimble. Tell Keith, hey, Keith, I heard about the gym on the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box podcast, and Joe said if I get in touch with you, I can get a free class. And then Keith will set you up. You'll take the class, and I have no doubt that before you leave the gym that day, you will sign up as a member. Uh, you can also get more information about the gym at BelmoreKickboxingMMA.com. The gym is located at 2551 Merrick Road in Belmore. And like I said, I can go on and on all day. I love the guys that run that place. It's a wonderful place to train. It's really, you know, like I said, I can go on and on. Just check it out. You'll see what I'm talking about. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Train where the champions train. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, there are a few more podcasts that I'd like to tell you about that I'm sure you'll enjoy. First one is the Fourth Line Voice podcast with the OG of the Enforcer podcasting world, my friend Darren in Saskatoon. Darren's latest episode, I don't know, because I'm recording this on Sunday, and he will, I imagine, be putting out another episode at some point today. I don't know what the subject matter is going to be, but you should listen to it anyway. But the last episode that he published was earlier this week with former WHLer Michael Haley. Now, you might be saying to yourself, wait, Michael Haley, he was an OHL guy. Well, it's a different Michael Haley. This Michael Haley played in the Western League. This Michael Haley, if you saw recently, probably within the last month, month and a half, there was a video released of a preseason brawl under the stands between, uh, I believe, the Seattle T-Birds and the Spokane Chiefs. And uh, Michael Haley was front and center in that. Tells the uh, tells the story of the brawl. Tells the backstory of the person who published the video, who is, a, I believe, a real estate lady in uh, in Spokane. So it, it's it's a pretty interesting story, and the interview itself was wonderful. And um, I definitely recommend go and listen to the Michael Haley interview. Go and listen to all of his back catalog. Uh, like I said, there would be an episode released today, which is Sunday the twentieth. I don't know what it's about, but I'm sure it's going to be a good one. So definitely check that out. And if you're on YouTube, please go to the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. If you have watched a hockey fight on YouTube in your life, chances are it was on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. So why not go back and uh, go down the rabbit hole? If you're someone like me, it's Sunday. Your team already clinched their division title. Maybe you don't want to watch any other football team today because they can't measure up to yours. So maybe you go and you're like, hey, I'm going to go watch some hockey fights. Whatever it is, go check it out. You'll enjoy it. The Five for Fighting podcast by Alec Olin-Salen. Alec's latest episode was released earlier this week, or maybe a little more than a week ago, with noted minor league pugilist Frank Littlejohn. Frank was a great interview. Uh, again, some really great stories. Uh, if you don't know who this Michael Haley is on Darren's show, and you don't know who Frank Littlejohn is on Alec's show, please listen just listen, because the stories are ter are terrific. I know in one of the episodes, or probably multiple episodes, I've talked about the minor league players and the stories they have, and it really is true. The minor leaguers and the junior players, they really do have the best stories. And um, I think Darren always says, if you don't know the, the guest, you'll definitely know some of the names that they talk about. And it's again, it holds true for these two interviews. So uh, definitely check out Alex's interview with Frank Littlejohn. It was uh, it was tremendous, and I'm looking forward to whatever he has coming up next. I don't know who's next. I believe a few episodes ago, and I think his comeback episode, he said he had a few episodes done or he had a few guests lined up. So I am uh, very much looking forward to seeing what he comes up with next. Now, on Facebook, Alec is the 
czar of the enforcer appreciation page. I am now a moderator on that page. And oh my God, Alec, you have my respect because I, uh, some of the, I, I don't know if some of the people on the page are for real. Um, I, I don't know if they're on there just to stir shit up. And uh, I think they're called trolls, internet trolls. I honestly don't know if they feel the way they feel with some of the shit that they post or if they're just on there to bust balls. And I mean, if they're on there to bust balls, then fair enough, you know, whatever, if that's what you like to do. But if if some of these people are actually serious in what they write, I, I don't know what to say. And again, not that, uh, not that I'm any great fountain of information. I, I really don't post on there too much um, because there's a lot of great stuff on there. But then the comments, oh, the fucking comments, my God. But um, so far, Alec, uh, I, I hope that uh, in my role as moderator, I have de denied many, many applicants from joining the page. Most of them look like they are allegedly from third world countries, and uh, I'm guessing they're not real accounts. So uh, I have been uh, denying people left and right uh, in the last two weeks, I think, since I've been a moderator. So that part's fun because I just look and be like, who the fuck is behind this account? trying to get into the why like you have nothing better to do than to do this dumb shit but so be it but i enjoy the page immensely i mean don't get me wrong the majority of the people on that page are incredible and the information that you can find on that page is incredible and uh i believe last night which would have been saturday the 19th of december i think scott parker went live on the page uh i missed it of course and uh but i mean that's the kind of stuff you'll find on that page i don't think parker is going on any other page going live and taking questions from people if anything like that's ever going to happen it's going to be on the enforcer appreciation page so check that out uh, also let's get the qsphl lnah jersey and equipment page growing on facebook please um that is one of alex other pages i love the page but i wish there were more entries uh, i only have one uh, lnah jersey QP QSPHL jersey. So I posted it a few weeks ago. I have nothing else to post on there. So please, if you have any of this stuff, go on that page and post it. I love, love, love looking at this stuff. And as you know, recently, every day I've been posting a different piece of the memorabilia that I have on there. I did post my uh, QSPHL slash LNEH jersey the other day. Uh, the Riviera de Loop, uh, Mike Bray. Uh, jersey that I have. Mike was a draft pick of the Islanders several years ago. Never saw any time in the organization, but he's part of the Islander family in my eyes. So when I saw that jersey was available for a very low price, I jumped on it. So uh, I'm happy to have it. And uh, if you have any of that stuff, please go on that page, join, become a member, and post. So I know I like to talk a little bit about different things before we get to the guest. I will try to keep it short today. That is easy for me to say after I've now rambled for 18 minutes. But just a few things very quickly. There is a video that has been making the rounds over the weekend about um, a kid in Calgary that was arrested for skating on an outdoor rink, apparently uh, breaking COVID guidelines. And uh, I, I really... I read about this early this morning and I read probably seven or eight articles and I was going to go on and on about this, but I'll, I'll be fair here in the States. I know which I know what agenda each news outlet has. And if you're one of those people who thinks that your news outlet doesn't have an agenda, then you're an idiot. Um, you know, you're, you're brainwashed. 
Every news media outlet has an agenda. Even my local news here, News 12, excuse me, on Long Island, they have an agenda. They all have agendas. So I take everything I, I see down here in the States with a grain of salt because I know where it's coming from. Every news source. I don't know that up in Canada. Now I'm sure, excuse me, hold on one second, please. Thank you. I know, well, I shouldn't say I know. I'm sure that news outlets up in Canada are very similar to the news outlets down here. I find it hard to believe that there is a reliable news source up in Canada, just like I know there is not a reliable news source down here. So while I think I did my due diligence in terms of this story, I honestly don't know because I don't know the sources that I got my news from. So what I do know is there was certain things in some stories that were left out of others, which I found kind of peculiar. And that really, um, really, I think was the, the reason why I don't really want to comment too much on it. Uh, what I will say is, um, I just, I'm so sick of this COVID shit. And the thing is, I don't really, God, I'm so sorry. I don't really want to comment too much on it because, um, everyone knows that 2020 has sucked shit. And it sucks shit for a lot of people. And there's been so much negativity around this fucking year that uh, I don't want to end the year. This will be the last episode of the year, by the way. I'm going to take a few weeks off. I'm going to focus on family. I'm going to focus on the holidays. The next episode will be released on January 4th. So uh, there's nothing going on. I'm not dismayed. I'm not disenchanted. Uh, I'm not aggravated. Uh, But, you know, this time of year... Let's focus on family. You know, that's how I look at it. And uh, even though this is not very time consuming in terms of hours in the week, um, you know, I take a break, recharge a little bit, celebrate with my family and um, and we'll get back going here on January 4th. But everybody knows that this year has been awful. So I don't want to really be have any negative uh, thoughts or vibes in this episode. So I want to keep it positive. But I would I would strongly urge you to definitely uh, look up the story. It was a kid on an outdoor rink in Calgary. And actually, the, what what I realized, not that I realized, what I learned is this kid comes from a pretty incredible family. Um, his mom is a single mom. She's deaf. And I think she had four or five, I think she had five kids, four of whom played hockey. And I think at least three of them are playing in the Western Hockey League right now. So um, if nothing else, the story of the kid, uh, getting involved with the, I think they're police. See, that's the other thing. I don't know if these were police. I don't know if there were certain kind of, I don't want to say peace officers or whatever. That's the thing. I don't really want to get into it too much because I, I, I don't, I would be doing you a disservice. So I ask you to please look up the story. But the one thing I did learn is this story about their incredible mom and everything that she's done for her kids. So uh, that would be one of the positives that came out of it is that I got, there was like a five or six minute, uh, piece done by I don't again I don't remember who did it but it's really well done and her kids are playing hockey in the Western League and you just you know she's the kind of lady that you root for uh, like I said everybody knows the struggles uh, you know especially nowadays that you know parents go through raising their kids this is a single mom who's deaf and uh, you know just it kind of puts things in perspective but she's obviously a tough lady and a tremendous woman and loves her kids and so and one of these sons is is the kid that was involved in the incident in Calgary. So um, I, I'm not going to really talk about it too much more than that. I don't really want to give you my opinion uh, because I'm not sure if it's an educated opinion. I know that's weird to hear someone to holding back their opinion because they're not sure if it's educated enough. But 
uh, I would urge you to definitely research the story. It's actually pretty interesting and, uh, and form your own conclusions. So let's talk about some positive things. First of all, I alluded to it. How about those Buffalo Bills? They are the AFC East champions for the first time in 25 years. Um, I'm very happy about that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I there is still plenty of work left to do. Uh, as a fan, I've been a fan a very long time. I am not satisfied in the least with this uh, AFC East championship. I'm happy about it. I think it's the kind of thing you celebrate for 24 hours and then you 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 know look forward to the next week. So there's games going on now. I don't know exactly how everything plays out um, in terms of uh, if they're going to play their regulars and try to get, uh, I don't know, they I, can they still catch Kansas City? I'm not sure, but uh, maybe they can uh, solidify a first-round bye if they're still doing that this year. I, I don't even know what's going on with the sports this year in terms of playoffs and stuff, but I am uh, very proud to be a Buffalo Bills fan today. Uh, and like I said, still plenty of work to do. I am I am definitely not satisfied with the division win. I will definitely not be satisfied just getting to the playoffs and losing. Uh, I, I want to see I want to see some more victories. I, I want them to win their last game. I'm, I'm pretty much all or nothing. Let, let's win the whole fucking thing. But congratulations to the Buffalo Bills, um, AFC East champions. Uh, long time coming. It's uh, like I always say, it's similar to the Islanders. It's really nice when you have adults running the show now and you see what see what can really be done when you have people with knowledge running the show. So Buffalo is similar to the Islanders here, and uh, and uh, this is a lot of fun. I think the next few years are going to be uh, pretty exciting for me as a sports fan. Congratulations to the Buffalo Bills. Matt Martin update. No news. I have nothing for you. Um, again, he didn't sign with anyone else. Like I, I keep saying, I think it's pretty much a, a done deal. I can't even really say that. I just think if he was going to sign somewhere else, I think he would have done it already. And um, I think that uh, with the announcement that the uh, NHL and the PA have to, uh, I guess, approve the 56-game schedule and approve the start of the season and camps, uh, if everything goes according to plan, I think camps for non-playoff teams actually open a week from today, which is the 27th. And I think for the playoff teams, they open uh, New Year's Day. I'm not really sure, but um, it looks like everything's going in the right direction. So if you're the Islanders, you definitely want to start the year with uh, Matthew Barzell. And um, hopefully they'll get that done now that there will be uh, a start date. And I think once they get Barzell signed, or if they don't get him signed, I think you'll see guys like Matt Martin uh, come into the fold. So I would hope that by the next time you and I are, well, next time I'm speaking at you on January 4th, the Matt Martin update will be that Matt Martin is in the fold. So let's hope for that. Uh, like I said, hockey's coming back. I can't imagine that this is going to fall through, but stranger things have happened. But uh, like I said, let's hope that next time we're together, Matt Martin is an Islander and that there is a schedule in place. I have zero hope that fans will be in the stands, especially here in New York. Uh, Emperor Nipple Rings is uh, quite adamant that he gets his way, and uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't have much hope for that. But I, you know, again, let's see what happens. Um, I think the last thing uh, today, uh, I think it's um, uh, World, uh, World Juniors. Team USA plays today on the NHL Network, so. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, the game's over. But it's cool that we'll have live hockey. I don't understand why the NHL Network doesn't put the East Coast League on there. Uh, East Coast League started up this week. And, uh, 
you know, they show it's just the same fucking show over and over again. You have the opportunity to bring some live hockey to people. I don't understand why you wouldn't, but uh, World Juniors are on today. I'm not going to lie. I may watch uh, Team USA. I may watch Team Canada. That's probably about it. I have no interest in the other teams, but you probably knew that. So today, anyway, really quickly, how I came to interview Kevin Devine. So um, back in the day, I know some of you listening have never lived in a world without Google or the internet, but back in the day, uh, as I've said before, I really took an interest in the Islanders minor league uh, affiliates and the minor league players in the mid to late 80s with the show Rinkside. And that was, by that point, the Islanders minor league, primary minor league affiliate was the Springfield Indians. Before Springfield, they had their teams in the Central League, uh, the Indianapolis Checkers, and before that, the Fort Worth Texans. Once, uh, once the internet started, and you can go back and you could do some research, I took an interest in researching as much as I could about the Indianapolis Racers. When the Islanders, Indianapolis Checkers, I'm sorry, Indianapolis Racers are... Uh, that's Wayne Gretzky's team. And actually, Kevin did play for the Racers one season, but I mean the Indianapolis Checkers and the Fort Worth Texans. So uh, as you research it, there are a lot of names I knew and there are a lot of names I didn't know. But obviously, I'm going to focus on the tougher players. And um, Kevin was uh, really the f- first and foremost on on the list of the Indianapolis Checkers. Uh, he had spent many years there. He was a captain of the team for several years. He captained the team to two titles, as you'll hear us talk about. And um, there's a bunch of guys on those teams in Fort Worth and Indianapolis that I would love to chat with. But um, Kevin uh, Kevin was a guy, really, I'm trying to go through the Rolodex of guys in my head, but really I'm thinking about it. And, and Kevin really was the guy that I wanted to talk to the most because like I said, as I say at the end of the interview, you really cannot discuss the history of Indianapolis hockey and not talk about Kevin Devine. It's really that simple. So if you follow uh, any of the social media accounts that I mentioned earlier in the show, you know that uh, when there's an Islander enforcer birthday, Islander minor league enforcer birthday, uh, that I post about it. And about a week, week and a half ago, it was Kevin Devine's birthday. So I posted a picture of Kevin wishing him a happy birthday. And later that day, I got a uh, message from Kevin thanking me very much. Now, I don't post those for, uh, it's just a fun thing to post, you know, but uh, I don't think for myself, I don't think there's any expectation of a thank you from the players. I mean, I'd say maybe 20 to 25% of the time, I'll get a thank you um, either in message, in messenger, uh, direct message, or if if I have a, uh, a closer relationship, let's say via text. Uh, but I think for myself, there's no real expectation of an interaction with the player. It's really more for the fans and you know fans like myself to say, hey, today's this guy's birthday, today's that guy's birthday. But for guys like Kevin Devine, who I don't think a lot of people that follow the NHL exclusively really know about, I always like doing that. And maybe current guys or guys who have played in the last 10 years or so, but never really played with the Islanders. I like putting their name out there because even though I'm just this, I'm a ham and egger here. I have my little podcast. I just like putting it out there because if you ever do a search for Kevin Devine, and I think there's a musician with that name. So you have to kind of 
uh, sort through all the musical stuff. But if you ever do a search for it on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, eventually you'll get to the posts and you'll see, oh, it's Kevin Devine's birthday. And you'll see maybe I posted a picture with the championship or whatever. And you'll be like, oh, was, who is this guy? And you do some research and you find out about who Kevin Devine is. So, like I said, there really isn't an expectation of any sort of conversation between the players, but it was really cool when I got the message from Kevin thanking me for that. And I, I was like, I was pumped, you know, listen, I know I'm fit. I'm 50 years old. I'm proud to be 50 years old. And I'm not going to say that I did cartwheels, like say a 14 year old girl would do if, I don't know, is Justin Bieber still a thing. He's usually, he's been my go-to guy in terms of like, Oh, how you react when, someone acknowledges you like oh a 13 year old girl getting acknowledged by justin bieber i don't even know if he's still a thing like if he if he matters anymore but i'm gonna go with that so uh i was really pumped when he when he sent me the message and i answered back you know my pleasure and uh you know uh i would i have a podcast i'd love to have you on and talk about your career and um kevin does a lot of work with the buffalo sabers he's been involved with the sabers now for many years in scouting and um, I don't really know what they're doing nowadays in terms of that. So I didn't know if he'd have the time. And um, But I said I would love to have you on the show and, and talk about your career. And, you know, really, I basically told him, like I say, I talk old school, old school all the time. And here's the opportunity to actually bring some old school to the listeners and to myself. Because I've never seen Kevin play. Uh, the, well... I may have seen the Islander games that he played. I I don't, they were many, many years ago, 1982, I believe. So I probably, well, probably watched the game that was in Chicago because we didn't get the home games. Um, if the game against Chicago was on Channel 9, and for those of you who are old enough to know, uh, the home games were on TV. It was just the road games. Um, unless you had cable, which I didn't. Um, I probably watched the game that was in Chicago. I probably didn't see the game in Calgary. So I, I shouldn't say I've never seen him play, but I've probably seen him play one game. But that really only piqued my interest even more. So I really wanted to get into it with him, get into his career, ask him about some of the players that he played with and some of the players that he played against. I mean, you know, how many times am I going to have a guy on the show that played against Gordie Howe or Bobby Hall? I mean, it's it's crazy. And also the cool thing is, you know, Kevin, because of the time that he played, he played with John Tonelli as a teenager. He played with Roly Melanson and Kelly Rudy. He played with a lot of these Islanders, played with Billy Harris, played with a lot of these guys um, before they were Islanders. And you get a perspective like that. So for me, it really was, it was a fun time talking to Kevin. Kevin was an amazing guest and uh, this was a lot of fun for me. So, um, if you're a fan of the old time hockey, like I am and uh, the style and, you know, like I, I, I compared Kevin to um, Kevin Devine knew another Kevin, Kevin Kaminsky, um, you know, smaller guys who, but they play 10 feet tall. They give it everything they have every shift. And I know it sounds cliche, but the reality is it's true. And um, Kevin Devine is a guy that I wish I could go back and find video on because I would love to watch full games of his or, or anything really. I think there's one fight on YouTube. So um, and that's about it. So um, anyway, I, I'm glad that you're stuck around this long. Um, please stick around. Listen to Kevin Devine. He was awesome. Great guest. And Kevin, if you're listening, thanks again for the time. And uh, hopefully we'll keep in touch because you played with a bunch of guys that I would love to have on the show. And uh, I'm not sure if you still keep in touch with, but uh, but we could talk about that another time. So 
I have now yammered on for almost 34 minutes, and you do not want to hear my voice anymore. So here it is, everybody. I hope you people enjoy my chat with Kevin Devine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. Today, it is, I, I am, uh, I'm not going to understate it. I, this is a big thrill for me. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm always one to preach old school, old school mentality. Uh, if you listen to my last episode, I talked about uh, having guys like Don Cherry and Brian Burke to tell their stories and how I feel that I hope some of the young people listen to, to those guys because they, they really bring a perspective that I think is lost uh, with a lot of today's uh, younger uh, commentators and stuff. And today I, I have the honor of bringing you the, the story of one Mr. Kevin Devine, um, who played in the WHA, played in the NHL, played in a, a few different leagues. And uh, it's an honor for me to, to talk to you, Kevin, because uh, as I just said to you uh, before we started recording here, uh, I really have a, an extreme reverence for, for the old school and the old school players. So this is a big honor for me, and I really appreciate you coming on today. Hey, welcome to do it, Joe. I appreciate that. So we'll Hopefully jump I remember. I think I remember a little bit. <laughs> well, you and me both. And the good thing is, if you don't remember it, I don't know it anyway. So I'll, I'll just say, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> I can make stuff up then. There you go. Um, so my first question to all my guests is this. If I had a time machine and I went back to see a young Kevin Devine on the ponds of Prince Edward Island, uh, who were you when you were out there playing with your friends? And, and by that, what I mean is if you found me on the in Queens, New York, or later on here on Long Island playing street hockey with my friends, I always wanted to be Clark Gillies or I always wanted to be Bobby Nystrom. Uh, who was Kevin Devine back in the day as a youth? Well, you know, um, I was a I was a big Leaf fan um, um, when I grew up, so it would be it would probably be somebody like Davey Keon. But there was a, a famous guy here from um, PEI that played in the NHL by the game uh, by the name of a guy named Forby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. So Forby was always kind of my hero too. Uh, you know, he played for the Bruins, played for Philly, played for the Leafs, played for the Red Wings, played for a few teams. But he would be a guy. But uh, I was a big Leaf fan, so. Um, I always kind of like Davey Keon and the big M, of course. Davey Keon's a little bit more of my size. Yeah. But um, so I was probably being, imagine being one of those guys. It was, uh, it was interesting back then. It was really basically uh, here on PEI, it was mostly a Toronto and Montreal a fan base. A, a kick in Boston's probably the third team on that. So growing up, it was, uh, you know, it was quite a rivalry at school. I um, mean, if the Canadians beat the Leafs one night, I would uh, uh, I'd be taking uh, a lot of abuse at school. So <laughs> that would lead to fights. It was it was really something back then. Uh, and since you brought it up, uh, for for those of you who may not be familiar with Kevin, one of the reasons why uh, I have such an admiration for him, Kevin, can you tell everybody what you played at, what your height was, and what your weight was? Because uh, to me, you played like a rabid dog, and you played like you were ten feet tall, but you were far from that. Correct. Uh, well, let's say on a good day, I was five, seven <laughs> and, you know, I think when I played in the world of hockey, I started off at 165 and by the time I was done, uh, uh, in 85, I was probably playing between 175 and 180. So, uh, players weren't quite as big back then. So it wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't a real monster show like some of the, some of the times in the NHL, but, uh, Actually, the teams that the players are probably a little bit smaller than they were when I uh, um, that I 
played probably when I was finished up in 85. Yeah, to me, like I, I just admire, you know, some of the guys. I, I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, Kevin Kaminsky is a very good friend of mine. He's a little guy that yeah. plays like he's a, a big man. Uh, guys like the Islanders have had, like guy like Robbie DeMaio. I always really yeah. tend to um, gravitate towards the guys. I mean, I'm, I'm a bigger person myself, but I can't play hockey worth a lick. Uh, and I always appreciate uh, guys like yourself that are smaller in stature, but you're all heart, you're all desire. And, and like I said, you play like you're 10 feet tall. To me, that is, that is such a great, uh, a, 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 to me, that's a characteristic that uh, it makes me laugh when you have guys that are maybe 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 225", and they play like mice. And then you have guys like yourself that are, are it's smaller in stature, but just play like, like rabid dogs. I, I love players like yourself. I, I really do. It, to me, it, you guys are really, really a lot of fun to watch out there. Yeah, those guys, um, those two names you mentioned, Kevin Kaminsky, Robbie DeMille, I always found that um, <laughs> it was tougher fighting those guys that, uh, that were close to my size and anything else. There were some really tough, smaller players back then. Yeah. And, um, you know, if I did actually get into a fight with the guys uh, that were a little bigger than me, I'd always, uh, they could always, uh, they had a hard time reaching down and hitting me. So. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to start off uh, the earliest um, that I, I was able to find uh, stats for you were with your uh, your hometown, Charlottetown Islanders. Uh, you played a few seasons with them in the yeah. Marit- Maritime Junior Hockey League. Um, really, it looks like the first year you were with them, you only played nine games. The second year, you ended up playing 40 games. You had 33 points, 90 penalty minutes. You were... Um, a second team all-star and apparently this team uh be- because it's really i couldn't find a lot of stuff about this team but apparently this was one of the really great uh junior teams of the time can you tell me a little bit about that team yeah um that's funny that you got those stats i, I can't even find those stats but, uh, um i'm happy to help yeah, you out it was a we had a um actually for a, we had a good run here for about uh, about three years and this was before um, that year that, uh, the year that I played the 40 games, that was the first year of tier two. Okay. So before then, uh, everything was equal as far as like the Memorial cup in Canada, any team could win it. Mm-hmm. And they finally went to that tier two system, um, that year that I played the 40 games. And, but all three of those years, um, before I played full time there, it was, uh, they had some great teams down here. Like we had, a great series down here between the Quebec Ramparts and uh, the Charlton Islanders that year before I played the full season. And guys like, um, you know, Guy Lafleur were down here, Andre Savard, Jacques Richard. So it was huge. And they had good teams. I think the Quebec team put, a, put, a, put that team out in six games. And then it just kind of continued on to the next year where um, we had some really good players or age groups. Some guys went on. I think... 10 or 11 guys off that team um, went to uh, play some sort of pro. And we um, it was pretty exciting because we went to the Canadian final that year against Red Deer, um, beat some good teams along the way. We beat the the Howe boys. Uh, the Detroit Junior Red Wings came down and played us with Mark and Marty Howe, who I ended up being teammates um, a couple years later. Yeah. So it was a pretty exciting time down there. I mean, it was hard to get tickets, man. It was like uh, – uh, People were lined up for hours and days to get tickets in that old Charlottetown Forum, which held about 2,000 people. So it was a pretty exciting time. Uh, we had some good, some good players, some good NHL players um, that ended up playing on those teams. Al McAdam, 
uh, Bobby McMillan, uh, Hilliard Graves. So it was a really, uh, it was a golden age, and people still talk about it today. When I when I run into people, they still talk about that team. So, so for those of you that aren't familiar, the, the time frame we're talking about here are the late 60s and the early 70s. So I'm trying to picture this in my head, Kevin. So is this uh, is there glass at the time? Is there chicken wire? Is there fencing? What, what's there with the boards up there? What, if I'm trying to picture this rink in my head. <laughs> no, there was no there was no glass then. It was chicken wire. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the boards were, and that was just at the ends. Um, you know, we had the old, uh, it wasn't even, there was no Zamboni back then. I mean, they used to flood the ice. Guys would come out with the barrels and yeah. take them around the ice. And I just remember there was always a, there was a big controversial goal there that what happened is the puck got stuck in where those uh, water barrels used to come out. We ended up uh, getting a break out of it and scored a game-winning goal. It was there's quite a place. It was like you know, the fans are right on top of you, and there's quite of a quite a crew of fans back then. Pretty intimidating for any teams coming into Charlottetown at that time. Now, you had mentioned uh, losing in the finals to Red Deer. So, like I said, when I was looking at your stats, the Centennial Cup, it, it seems to be like it was a pretty big tournament because if the stats are right, uh, I saw that it had you playing 21 games in the tournament. You had 18 points and 55 penalty minutes. What, what, this was, a, was this a big tournament for all the teams around Canada? How, how did that work? Well, it was the original uh, it was original year of the tier two, so okay. that's never been done before. So, all the major junior teams like the Western Hockey League and Ontario and and Quebec, they got divided off, and they were the only teams that could win the Memorial Cup. So, uh, the Centennial Cup was all the other the smaller teams in in the in the around the provinces in in, in Canada. So, um, we had to start off winning by winning our league. I think we had a three or four team league back then. Halifax was in there, Cape Breton, Moncton. So we had to first win our our, uh, our own league. And then I think the next team we played might have been Thunder Bay. Uh, and then I think after that was Detroit Junior Red Wings. And then we went on to play Red Deer when the whole series was here in Charlottetown. They had uh, they beat us, in, they beat us in six games. So it was... Uh, a little bit disappointing at the end, but um, it was a hell of a ride. So before we move on to the OHA, I have to ask, I know quite a few people from the Maritimes, and I always say the same thing, and I mean it in a complimentary way, that I think Maritimers are a different breed. And I think, and, and by that I mean in terms of blue-collar, work ethic, uh, lunch pail type thing. What was the Maritime hockey scene like back before you moved on to the OHA? Well, it was, you know, it was always, uh, it was always a tough tough league. I mean, there's always, you know, the Maritimers always had a, a reputation of, of uh, rough and tough play. So, um, you know, that was basically the basis of it. And there was some wild times back then. Um, but most of it was, you know, with the Maritimes were, uh, it's better now, but they were really behind the curve back then. I mean, there weren't a lot of scouts that came down. Um, you know, you really had to fight for recognition, but um, it was tough hockey. So that was, that was kind of the basis of all of, uh, the Maritime guys at Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and the Newfoundlanders too, Atlanta, Canada. So we always had a kind of reputation that um, if we were going to ever go any place, we had to be tough and um, had to fight for everything we got. So it was uh, it was uh, it wasn't crazy, but uh, you had to be tough to play. And this team that you played for in Charlottetown, they were um, inducted into the PEI Sports Hall of Fame. And one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, appreciate about the like, Canadian culture and stuff like that is really this feeling of of 
I want to say neighborhood or or however you want to phrase it. So I imagine when this team gets inducted into the PEI Sports Hall of Fame, that's a big deal in the community, no? Oh yeah, that was uh, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Now uh, I'm sure, but it was like I said, um, it was a big thing back then. Uh, uh, like I say, people still talk about it. Um, so uh, having that team put in the PEI Sports Hall of Fame, I'm not even sure when that. That started, but I think you know we probably were uh, maybe even the first team in, inducted as a team. Uh, I can't remember any other teams. Uh, I'll have to check that, but um, I think we were kind of the first team to be inducted as a team into the PEI Sports Hall of Fame. That's great. So now we move on to the OHA. You play for the Toronto Marlboros, uh, Marlies. I think people are more familiar with that. Uh, and there were a couple of guys that first season I wanted to ask you about. One guy just because he's a, a well-known hockey player, and the other guy because obviously he's well-known, but he also is uh, very well-known here on Long Island. Uh, first guy was Steve Shutt, and the second guy was Billy yeah. Harris. Uh, those were yeah. the two names that, that jumped out at me when I looked at that team. Can you tell me about those guys, especially uh, oh, yeah. back then? Oh, they were uh, oh, they were top players. I think uh, Billy Hink, as they used to call him, I think he was number one draft pick. Yep. And of course, the draft was back then. Uh, he was 19 years old. Uh, they had a line. Um, I played in the fourth line that year. I didn't get a ton of ice, but uh, I was only 16 years old. But Billy Harris, Steve Shutt, and Dave Gardner. Um, Dave Gardner was the center. He went to. He went early in the first round, too, I think, to Montreal. That was an unstoppable line. Wow. They were unbelievable. Like, Stevie Shutt, um, he had a shot, man, that could, you know, would rival like uh, like Boss, like Mike Bossy, you know. Yeah. And then uh, Billy had the big two-way game, big, strong, power forward, um, could do it all, you know. And Dave was the setup guy. So those guys were, uh, well, I think that I'm sure they were the best team, the best line in Canada at that time. They put up a, a great amount of points, but... Uh, they were really, really good. How was uh, how did you find the transition going from uh, the Maritime Juniors to the OHA? Was it was it a big step up for you, or it was kind of seamless? Uh, no, you know what? It was um, it was kind of both, really. It was you know when I, I back then there really wasn't the draft. I mean, yeah. I got uh, I got an invite. Uh, we we had some bird dogs down here that worked for the Leafs and a few other teams and. Um, uh, so I got an invite when, you know, I was 16 years old, really, uh, to go up and just to try out, like I said, there was no, I don't think there was a draft back then that mm-hmm. the Marley's then had pretty well, uh, they had the whole metro area to choose from for players. So they always had a big pool of players, but I just got up there as a tryout and really wasn't expecting much, but I had a great camp. Um, you know, uh, my mother, my mother let me go expecting to be to be home uh, two weeks later, you know, not thinking that I would have made the team. But I think they really wanted me to play Junior B, but uh, I didn't want to go up there to play Junior B. I had the option of coming home and playing Junior A again, and I really kind of stuck to my guns. And they said, okay, well, uh, you'll play on a big team here, and, you'll, you know, you'll play in the fourth line and, and get your feet wet, and, and off you go. So, But it really wasn't um, – it was hard, you know, harder, of course, but – um, you know, I was on that team. I was stacked up. We won the league that year, the regular season. We lost out to Peterborough in, uh, in I think it was the semis, maybe or maybe the finals. I can't remember now. But um, so they had a stacked team. So I didn't find 
obviously I think I only had a few goals that year, five or six goals, maybe four. So obviously it was a little bit more of a transition, but at the same time, uh, I made it as a walk-on up there. So actually I played pretty good at the start of the year. So good enough to, to make a, you know, the number one team at the league at that time. And you want to talk about a stacked team. I think that brings us to your second year, the 72, 73 Marlies, um, just to throw out uh, your stats there for the folks listening. In 58 games, Kevin had uh, 70 points, 30 goals, 40 assists, also threw in 150 pims. Um, this team, you had mentioned already the How Boys. Mark and Marty were on this team with you. Uh, you had Mike Palmatier in net, and George Armstrong was the coach. Um, this team, I think, if I read it right, had a record of 47, 7, and 9, which is tremendous. <laughs> How good was this team? I mean, was this. You guys must have gone out there every night knowing you were going to win these games. Yeah, we were, we had a really strong team. Um, you know, I think I played on the second line that year with a guy named Paul and Borderlo and Peter Marin and uh, Mark Cow, who, uh, along with Denny Potvin, were the two best players in Canada that year. And so we just rolled through the lineup. We had a strong defense, too. We, we had a rogue, as I call him, Mike Palmatier and Nets. And then we had... You know, with George Armstrong, who was just a terrific, uh, terrific coach. I mean, <laughs> he'd never tell you that, of course. You know, he uh, he says, I he says, I just don't want to screw it up. He says, I, I just open the door and close the door and let those guys go over there, and I just try not to screw it up. But we had a great team, a great skating team. Um, won the Memorial Cup that year, and that was one of the first years of the round robin. And I think we beat uh, Quebec Ramparts 9-1 in the final game. Yep. So we had a we had a... Uh, a really well-rounded, well-rounded um, lineup. Uh, Bob Daly was on defense there, who was a number one pick of the Flyers. So we were pretty stacked. It was a fun team to play on. Well, I have to ask you, since you mentioned him, I mean, uh, for people listening here on Long Island, Dennis Podvin is basically a god. Uh, what was it like playing against Dennis Podvin at that young age? Like you said, him and Mark Howard, the two best defensemen. Um, how good was Dennis at that age? Well, he was... You know, he was outstanding. I mean, you just uh, – and he was a good size, too. So when he played in Ottawa, like when you were on the ice, man, you had to keep your head up. Yeah. Because you get hit by that truck, you were, you were going to be on the IR soon. So he was uh, – like, I think Ottawa uh, – we might have even played him in the first round that year. He was uh, – they probably finished fifth. They had some real good players, too, but just not as good as our team. But he was – obviously, you know, he was 19 years old, I think, at that time. Uh, so he was a star. You could see he was going to be a star. And he was, he was all man. He was already, uh, you know, NHL size. He was uh, physically mature. So yeah, he was he was something else. Now, when you're this good of a team and you go on to win the Memorial Cup, I mean, I'm sure in that locker room you guys felt like you had what it takes to win the Memorial Cup. And even though you guys were that good, was it still something that when it was over, was it something that you could appreciate, or was it more of a sigh of relief in terms of okay, we did it because if you would have lost, it would have been a major upset, no? Well, you know what? We almost lost. I mean, Peterborough, again, the Peterborough nemesis with, you know, Roger Nielsen uh, coaching Peterborough back then. And the year before, we had, a, I thought, a better team than Peterborough, and they ended up beating us in the playoffs. So and that, that Peterborough series, uh, back then it was uh, – it was uh, – a points thing it wasn't best of seven it was like first right. team to eight points yeah so uh i remember we were leading uh the series was tight and it was tough like there was i'm sure there was at least uh, three or four um brawls in that series 
they played us tough and um we played them tough i remember going into uh, i think it was game it might have been game seven uh, the series was in uh, in toronto it was the maple leaf gardens and um you know they were up five two going into the third period mm-hmm. and paul in bordelow scored uh and the last no he didn't score he scored in the last minute on a penalty shot wow uh a guy named Jimmy Turkwitz put his hand, he'll probably deny it to this day, but he put his hand on the puck in the last minute of the game. And Paul Lynn, uh, you know, scored in the penalty shot. So there was no overtime back then. So if we lose that game, we're going back to Peterborough for game eight. Yeah. And so yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was tense back there. So um, once we got through that, though, um, you know, we lost the game. We lost the game in the Memorial Cup to uh, Medicine Hat. So it wasn't... Um, you know, it wasn't a, we didn't get through unscathed there. I, I, I just remember that. I don't remember being as much relief mm-hmm. as, you know, we were just so happy that we won. I mean, the Memorial Cup is like, you know, it's almost, uh, it's not like the Stanley Cup, but you got your name on that Memorial Cup. Every year I see it, I can look at it and say, there, my name's on that cup. Something they can look back and be proud of for the rest of your life. I mean, I think a case could be made to win the Memorial Cup might be even tougher than the Stanley Cup. Obviously, the prestige is different, but especially nowadays, you you have to first you have to go through your league, and then you have to beat the best in the other leagues. I mean, that that's a pretty tough task, no? Yeah, and you've only got, you know, basically you've only got at the most you've got three years to do it, right? Yeah. I mean, in in the Stanley, I mean, if you've got a long career in the NHL, you've probably got uh, fifteen cracks at it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, in, 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 when you're in junior, um, you know, a lot of guys, some guys play four years today, but most guys only played two or three years back then, mm-hmm. you know. So um, uh, it was kind of people, a lot of people have said that to me before. It's a it's a tougher trophy to win than the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I Probably really smart people. Since I just said it, I got to throw myself in there. You know, <laughs> obviously it's people that yeah, like that. Oh, that's the- <laughs> smart yeah. smart and handsome people obviously but uh <laughs> your your third year in toronto um again a, another really good year points wise 67 games 69 points 40 goals so and, and again 218 penalty minutes so i guess first i'll ask um in your you know three years now in the oha is there any like wild like brawl moments or any any particular guy that you ended up fighting a lot you know like i said a lot of this is a lot of uh stuff to uh, research on this time period is very difficult to come by so did you have any particular personal rivals or just someone you always ended up butting heads with uh during your time in the oha yeah i wasn't the smartest guy back then there's a guy i bumped into a few times uh by the name of stan jonathan oh and boy <laughs> stan played him yeah stan played him peterborough and i gotta tell you a story we had an exhibition game in one of the rinks around the toronto area before the season and um uh you know, I played the year before, and we were playing Peterborough, and I was playing this exhibition game, and this guy was out running around, and I didn't know. Nobody knew who he was, and I said, then, you know, I go to the direction, and I said, who the hell is this guy, you know, out running around, like running everybody? And nobody said to know, right? So, anyways, push come to shove in the second period, I dropped the gloves with Stan. And I quickly found out who he was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I got back into the dressing room after the second period. I got a couple of black eyes. You know, I got back into the fight. But um, we had, you know, a couple of uh, couple of wrestling matches or a couple of, uh, I wouldn't know if I even call them fights after that because I was probably holding on for dear life. But <laughs> he was one guy I definitely remember back then um, button heads with. And uh, he was, uh, I remember seeing him in a, I don't know what I was doing. I was uh, somewhere in Boston for some reason. I remember seeing him at a 
at a local restaurant, and I said, "My God, he was just the size of a, he was the size of a tank." Yeah. And I said, well, "I was kind of crazy to fight that guy back then, but he was not, you know, Stan really wasn't any much bigger than I am. At least taller. Right. He was probably twenty pounds heavier, but he was the one guy that um, um, that I made a mistake of fighting. But uh, we had that that second that last year, um, we had a hell of a team coming back. But that was the year the World Hockey came in, and they took four of our players. They took the, both the Howe boys mm-hmm. and then uh, a guy named Tom Edger and a guy named Wayne Dillon who ended up playing for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And those guys all went. Otherwise, we would have we would have uh, won it again. And look, the, we had the 16-year-olds come in. We had John Tonelli, a guy named John Anderson, Mark Napier, a guy named Mike McEwen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we were loaded with younger players. And if those guys had to come back, we would have won again. But we couldn't uh, overcome. Uh, we were just a little bit too young. Uh, we couldn't overcome the loss of those four guys, but uh, we gave it. I think we won our first series, and then and then we bowed out. I think to St. Catharines uh, was the eventual winner. You mentioned a few players, and uh, two of them had Islander ties. So I'll ask you about Mike McEwen, but even more so, John Tonelli. What was JT like as a 16-year-old? He's pretty popular here on Long Island, as you may imagine, and uh, in my household, especially being that he has a Italian heritage there too. So, uh, what were those yeah. guys like as 16-year-olds? Uh, well, uh, Tony, uh, I think I might have even gave Tony his first beer back then. I think he was only 16. He was a, he was kind of, a, he was kind of a goofy kid, really kind of fun to be around, really different kind of the different, uh, different sense of humor, but really up kind of up, up guy, really fun to be around. And, um, yeah, he was a hell of a guy. Mike was kind of a little bit of the, the opposite. He was kind of a quiet guy. Um, you know, didn't, uh, not near as uh, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, as up, upbeat as um, as uh, John was back then, but um, yeah, two two good players. We had we had some good young players. So after the season, this is where uh, this is where to me the the interview. Obviously, the whole thing is interesting, but because I wasn't, I was four at the time. You're in, you end up getting drafted, and it, and actually, it adds a little intrigue into this for me because you said you're a big Maple Leafs fan, so. You end up going in the yeah. sev- seventh round to Toronto, uh, but you also yeah. go in the second round to the San Diego Mariners. So, and, and if I read correctly, it seems like a lot of the drafts back then, because the leagues were rival leagues, a lot of stuff was done in secret. A lot of stuff was done in private. So can you kind of take me through uh, the process in being drafted by, by both leagues and how you ended up coming to the decision to go with the WHA instead of Toronto? Well, it was an interesting time. It was the first, uh, it was the first time really agents were around. And I don't think it might have been their first year that um, agents really got into uh, representing hockey players. Before that, I think pretty well everybody was just doing it by themselves. That's the last, the first year I can remember. And if you had an agent back then, then you were somebody. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you know, agent would be whining and dining guys. And I had my first agent, a guy named Norm Kaplan, God rest his soul. Um, I think he was hooked up from a guy from Long Island, uh, Eric Kaminsky, maybe rings a bell, bell, but yep. mm-hmm. yeah, so they were kind of hooked up and the Leafs had drafted me, um, you know, they were, uh, and they gave me a fair offer, you know, uh, and I've been around the Leafs, of course, I've been playing for the Marlies for years. I got them practice, you know, I knew, uh, I knew a lot of them and, you know, I was only five, seven back then. So they were probably doing me a favor by drafting me. Who knows if I even get drafted if the Leafs don't take me in the seventh round. But, um, 
you know, they took me, they, they offered me some, you know, some decent money, a decent signing bonus. And, but they basically told me, okay, you're going to start, I believe back then, uh, their farm team was in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, San Diego come in, uh, you know, picked me in the second round and they, and the money was double mm-hmm. and they promised me, you know, a place on the team. So I figured, you know, well, I could go make twice as much money. I play in a better league, and then when my contract's up, I can go back to the NHL. Well, what happened was um, Harold Ballard, who was running the Leafs back then, hated the WHA. Yeah. So once I went to the WHA, the Leafs kind of washed their hands of me. And I, you know, I had a big uh, my third year, my my contract year um, in San Diego. Like I had 30 goals. I was 21, 22 years old at that time. So you know, I was. I was hoping to ride that to maybe going back to the NHL, but at that time, you know, like they had my rights, and basically, uh, they just basically told me, "No, you're in the world of hockey now. We're washing your hands of it. We don't care that um, you know that you did have the big year." So uh, it was kind of like I always kind of wondered what would have happened if I had of uh, uh, taken the Leaf Road, but um, you know, there's a lot of things, positive things happened with San Diego. I love. I loved San Diego, loved California. I had to, actually, I didn't even know where San Diego, I mean, I knew it was in California, yeah. but I, I really had to get the map out mm. and look for, to find where San Diego was at that point when I did finally decide to sign with them. So one thing I was curious to ask you is, now you're still a young man at this point, and obviously growing up, I mean, anyone that, that plays hockey, if you, if you have the ability to eventually play in the NHL, the, the dream as a kid is to play in the NHL, but you're also a young man um, with bills to pay and everything. And like you say, you got more money with the WHA. You were assured a, a roster spot with, with um, San Diego. So how, how does that, does that ever play into it? Like the, the young Kevin Devine who wants to play in the NHL and the realistic, say Kevin Devine, who eventually is going to have bills to pay and wants to make some money. Was that a hard decision? Uh, you know, it was, it really wasn't more about, it really wasn't about the money. It was more about, okay, um, I get to play, you know, it was was more about, I think the way the Leafs just said, Hey, and, and they were probably right. I mean, I was probably realistically, I wasn't going to make the Leafs, but the Leafs weren't very good back then. Yeah. They didn't have very good teams. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, you know, that they basically just said, well, we're not going to give you and get a chance at camp. Whereas San Diego said, no, you're coming in, you're going to play with us. You're going to. Uh, it was a better league at the time, and then you know your your three years, and I just figured, you know, I just figured I'd be able to um, use that as a stepping stone in the NHL. But like I say, you know, it was once I signed with uh, the World Hockey, then the, the Leafs wanted nothing to do with me. So, did you start uh, the season with Syracuse or San Diego in '74? No, I started with uh, <laughs> I started with San Diego, and I had a. Uh, I had a really hard time scoring goals. Um, you know, I, I, they were going everywhere. I had so many chances, but I just once it just uh, I was squeezing the stick so hard. I think I don't. I don't think I scored my first goal until um, you know early December. It was against Dave Dryden in Edmonton, and and then it was. Uh, I think the plan was already in place to, to send me to Syracuse uh, to get my confidence back or, or whatever. But it was kind of a. It was kind of an adventure going to Syracuse because that was a slap shot league. So mm-hmm. it was quite, you know, that my first uh, couple of weeks there were a big eye opener. And I finally, I think I was out there for about six weeks or so, or maybe two months, and, and got back to 
San Diego at the end of the year. So I did spend some time in Syracuse, but uh, it was quite a time back then, the old Slapshot League. Well, I figure that the best way to uh, for San Diego to inspire guys is to send them to – you're in San Diego. It's beautiful weather, 365. <laughs> Go to Syracuse for a couple of weeks in the middle of winter. You'll you'll be ki- you'll be killing yourself to get back to San Diego, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like you said, it's a slap shot league, and there's one there's one player I got to ask you about, and there's one incident, of course, I have to ask you about. You played with one of the great characters in the history of the sport in Goldie Goldthorpe, and there was a a pregame brawl with Broom County. Yep that uh, I believe Goldie was involved, and I believe he was in street clothes. So first, please give me your impressions of Goldie as a person, as a player, and then give me your recollections of that pregame brawl with Broome County. Well, I'll set this up for you, Joe, is how this all started. Like, I mean, uh, when I got sent down, I think it was New Year's Eve day or something like that. We played, uh, we practiced. As soon as I get in off the plane in Syracuse, I went right to practice, and we practiced that night, uh, that day and ended up uh, – getting a spot, getting a, uh, as a roommate of a guy named Bill Reed. So um, in the next, the uh, first game we're playing, um, you know, it wasn't in the, it wasn't in the war memorial where, uh, you know, where the team plays out of now. It was in the, in the fairgrounds because something was going on in the war memorial. So seven, eight minutes into the game, uh, there's a bench clearing brawl, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like my first seven games, just seven minutes into the league. <laughs> As I turned, uh, the benches were beside each other, and as I was going to where the brawl was down in front of our net, some guy turned me around, a guy named Bernie McNeil, mm-hmm. and he hit me one punch, and, and he split me. Like, I, the fight was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was bleeding everywhere, so anyway, he lets up on me. I go to get stitched up in one of these old, dark, minor hockey rooms, and, you know, we get in there, the guy sews me up, and, uh, you know, the first thing you do when you get stitched is you go look in the mirror to yeah. see what kind of job you did, how many you got, blah, blah, blah. I go to look in the mirror, and it's like shoelaces through my, my cut. <laughs> and, you know, I say, and I say to the trainer, I said, well, what the hell is this? And he goes, well, Kevin, the doc couldn't make it tonight. And I said, well, who the hell was that guy? And he goes, oh, that was the vet. And um, all, all he had was horse stitches on him. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> I thought, anyway, needless to say, I still got the scar today. So, okay. anyway, during... During that game, um, one of our players ended up with their spare goalie and in the in the brawl broke his jaw. So um, we got to play the next day in Binghamton. So, you know, everybody's going, oh, my God, this is going to be something else. So we, you know, next day we get on the bus, there's two or three guys missing. Yeah. I said, where did those guys go? Well, this guy's sick, that guy's sick. And they had the Binghamton flu. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, we go down to... Binghamton, we got, you know, we're short a couple of players. We go into the warm up and they've got about five extra guys dressed. And I can see what's going to happen here. And at that time, Syracuse had two teams. We were the North American League team and uh, and they had an American League term called uh, Syracuse. I can't remember their name now, but um, that's who Goldie played for. Okay. Billy Goldthorpe. So Goldie heard when he came back that day, he's all his buddies were, you know, those boys all used to hang out together and have a few beers together on both teams. And when he heard about this, he says, oh, there's going to be action down in Binghamton tomorrow. So they had the day off. Mm-hmm. So Goldie comes down to watch the game. He's got a sport coat on and everything, you know. The push, the shoving and pushing starts in the warm-up. Next thing you know, there's a brawl in the warm-up. The referees are out there in their underwear. The cops are on the ice. 
And Goldie jumps out of the stands, <laughs> jumps into our bench, and he's feeding guys from the bench, just punching guys from the bench. You know? <laughs> so this, I, I don't know if this is where Slapshot got this thing about, you know, them trying to get uh, coming to uh, get the guy of the dressing room. But that yeah. actually happened. Goldie ended up in our dressing room, and the cops came to the door. <laughs> And we said, no, you're not getting in. You know, uh, they said, well, you're coming in. He's going to arrest him. Said, no, you're not coming in. We have to go through us. And then they were negotiating. We said, we'll just go home. There'll be no game. And finally, you know, they said, well, okay, he can go to his car. We said, well, how do we know you're not going to arrest him? Soon he gets outside the, the dressing room, you know. So I can't remember now whether it was a player or the coaches or a couple of guys escorted Goldie. Oh. Out to his car, and then you know the cops says, "If he ever comes back to Broome County, we're going to you know put him in jail and throw away the key." So, but I had ex- I had a previous experience with Goldie because we played against him in Thunder Bay back when I played in Charlottetown, and we had a little bit of a scrap up in Thunder Bay, so we knew each other kind of you know. Mm-hmm. But um, so we didn't play together in Syracuse, but the next year okay. in San Diego, mm-hmm. Goldie was on our team in San Diego, so I got to know him now. Know him then. Um, some really good stories oh. about him. I don't know if I should ever tell on here, but <laughs> he's kind of a crazy guy uh, to play with. And he was, uh, he was, you know, he was only about five nine, but he yeah. was cut, mm. and he was scary looking. He had the the, the tight blonde apple, and he was a scary looking dude. And uh, I, we just kind of like connected uh, over the last year or so. He was doing some. Uh, promotions for his book so he's actually down here on PEI so we've been in touch quite a bit uh you know we probably talk to each other once a month now but yeah there was pretty exciting times back there with Goldie I I think for myself obviously someone like like Goldie Goldthorpe there's so many stories that go around and and you figure with with any anybody there could be stories that go around and I guess as the years go on the legend kind of grows and grows and a lot of times when you hear a story about someone, you must go, well, I don't know if that's true or not. But you, with him, any story I hear, I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, you should you should pick up his book. I definitely want to, for uh, sure. It, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's quite a book. And, um, you know, <laughs> uh, most of Goldie's stories happen, you know, the, the best stories happened off the ice, not yeah. on the ice. So. Yeah, oh, definitely. But he was... Uh, yeah. He was, uh, and he, you know what? He was a pretty good hockey player too. He could skate like hell. He was a real good energy guy. I mean, he brought a lot of energy to the team, and uh, he he could play hockey too. So, um, like I think uh, you get the impression that he's great, this great big guy, but he was really only five foot nine. But he was he was cut. He was uh, he was tough. So um, another guy that um, that when you go back to San Diego. Uh, you fought a player that uh, some people may know from his days in the NHL with Minnesota or Chicago, and that's uh, Terry Ruskowski, another guy not very big, oh. but very tough. Wow. And uh, do you remember fighting with Terry or just battling with Terry oh, yeah. as a whole? Oh, yeah. I remember Terry Ruskowski, probably the well, – he was the fastest guy I ever fought. I mean, you know, I was 5'7", so if I was getting in fights, I had to be fast. But yeah. I remember there was uh, – we were playing in Houston, the Houston rink back then, and it was early in the season. And there was kind of a line brawl going on. He had, I was hooked up with him, and he, he had the sweater of one of my guys while I was in a fight. And I'm just going, like, what the hell's going on, man? So we went at it, and he tattooed me. Yeah. Like, I wasn't ready for him. Like, he was, like, he was fast. He cut me over the eye. I wasn't even in the fight. But uh, I said, okay, you know, uh, I know what this guy's like. So the next game we played, uh, the game was in San Diego, so we went at it again. 
and uh, there was a lot of punches thrown. Like, uh, uh, and it turns out I did, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be say it's a draw. He might have had an edge, but mm-hmm. to this day, and there was no helmets back then, right? I wasn't yeah. wearing a helmet. I don't yeah. know if, I don't know if Terry was or not, but it was funny because after the after the game, I went down to talk to the Hal boys. You know, they were there and they. They're looking at me, and, you know, I don't have a mark on me, right? And Terry ended up breaking his hand on my head. <laughs> so he was up home. But um, I said, yeah, he never touched me. Well, underneath all my hair, because it was the 70s back then, oh, yeah. I had all these little bumps on both sides of my head that I still have today. <laughs> and oh, <my> God. <laughs> I swear to God, that's true. The bumps are still there. I'm feeling as I talk to you. But he was uh, – Oh man, he was fast. He was tough. He was a one tough customer. So even though I'm an Islander fan, lifelong Islander fan, I do acknowledge that there is another team close by in New York City, uh, and one of their most famous players is a, is a guy who was your coach, Harry Howell, a pretty renowned yeah. uh, hockey player. How was it like playing for Howell uh, for Harry? Well, how uh, Harry was an assistant playing coach. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a, a coach. He was assistant coach as a player. You know. Okay. But I remember this guy. I remember like going to San Diego on my first training camp. Of course, it's you know September. It's hot out. Uh, we're doing we're doing drills. I I know Harry. Of course, if I don't know what Harry would be back back then, he had to be you know mid thirties if if not older than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I just remember doing drills at the end of end of practice, back and forth, boards and back. You know, and I was I was close to Harry going back and forth, and I. I'd be beating them over, beating them back. Beat, but this went on for a while. And eventually, this guy was beating me back and forth. He was a tremendous guy, tremendous, um, he was in tremendous shape. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent guy. Just passed away. Really yeah. Um, guys ever been hockey. Classy, classy guy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and I have to ask you, I'm sure you get, you get asked this all the time when the WHA stories come up. Um, you played against Bobby Hall and Gordy Howe. Um, what what was watching those guys play? Um, what was that like? Like to just watch those two guys play play against those guys. Well, I'll tell you a story about Gordy. You know, I got to know Gordy the year that we won the Memorial Cup. Um, me and Mark were uh, we were good friends, so we had a couple of days off, and Mark requested to go home. And Frank Manel was a GM at the time. He said, "Yeah, go take a couple of days off." And, he says, uh, Mark says, well, can I take a friend with me? I said, sure, who? So he took me down, and Gordy had retired then. He wasn't playing. So I got to meet Gordy down at the house down there, which was a big thrill. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was eventually around quite a bit that year because, you know, he wasn't playing. I think he was one or two into retirement. We had a good team. He was there for the Memorial Cup. So I got to know him a little bit. Now, the How Boys go the Howboys go and play with their dad next year. I finish up my last year junior. Mm-hmm. And my first game in the world hockey is playing against Houston. Oh. I'm starting. And who's on my opposite wing or right next to me is Gordy Howe. Oh, man. So Gordy taps my pads. And he says, way to go, kid. You made it. The puck gets, the puck gets dropped. Uh, it goes back to our defenseman. He dumps it into the corner. I'm in there flying. Uh, you know, I'm so pumped up. And I just kind of hear these long strides behind me. And just this little ge- gentle push on the back of my knee at the last moment. 
and I almost kill myself going into the boards. <laughs> and I look up, here's Gordy skating away with a puck. Yeah. And I'm just okay. I guess <laughs> I guess the friend <laughs> I guess the friendship is over. But he was uh uh it's just gotta be you know, one of the amazing things I don't think it's recognized enough is this guy playing in the National Hockey League as a you know, as a fifty year old. Yeah. And I think ended up one year scoring twenty goals. I mean, this guy was fantastic. Yeah. Very protective of the kids. Mm-hmm. Anybody came near those guys, they had to deal with Gordy and he was still you know, he wasn't the, wasn't a big fighter back then, but you were gonna get something, an elbow or a stick or something mm-hmm. uh, back then from Gordy. You're very protective of the kids. Um yeah, great guy. Uh got to know him like a little bit after you know it was all over and stuff like me and mark still mark had worked for uh, as a scout so we ran into each other quite a bit because i'm scouting for the sabers and he was mm-hmm. scouting for i think the, the detroit at the time but um and then bobby hall was you know i remember playing against him and he was just we ended up checking him in one series and i i, I was up against hall and if this guy got a step on if and it was, they played the swedish system back then they had some great swedes like uh, Hedberg and Alfie Nielsen and yeah. Larry Schultz was on defense and they played this European system and they would come back and circle so when Bobby Ho when he got a step on you he just put that arm out and there's nothing you could do Yeah, he would just buy you he was just so strong and shoot the puck back then he was just a, uh, I'm not even sure how, how tall Bobby was uh, I don't know if he's even more than 5'10 but he was one powerful dude yeah. And if you didn't if you didn't bump him early uh, on the boards to, to stop him from getting some momentum up, you were done. He was something else. And did you ever get a good look at that stick blade? Uh, I think his stick blade, uh, the curve on his stick is sort of renowned <laughs> also. Well, you know, it was the world hockey back then, and there was no restriction on, on the blade. So yeah. everybody, my blade was crazy too. A lot of guys had that too. But yeah. uh, I know goaltenders just... I mean, they were, they didn't know where the puck was going. I felt bad for some of those guys mm-hmm. when he wound up, you know, to take, uh, you know, take one timers in the slot. I don't think if you had the one time, but those guys were just, you know, they were, they were yeah. terrified. I don't, I don't, that was one. Well, that was probably, uh, maybe the best line I ever played against was, you know, him, Hedberg and Nielsen. Cause Anders Hedberg was a great player too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got my fill of Hedberg and Nielsen once they came over to the yeah. Rangers when I was uh, growing up watching them play the Islanders. So, uh, so yeah, I know yeah, how good those guys were. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was quite an experience playing against those guys. So there was a coach that kept coming up when I was looking at your stats, your your year by year stats, and that was a, a coach named Ron Ingram. So uh, yeah. So uh, well, I guess. He must have liked you. Uh, it seemed like wherever he went, he, you were there at some point. Uh, did you like playing for Ron? Yeah, I liked playing for Ron. He was kind of a he was a kind of a tough old school guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he kind of appreciated my style of play. Um, but you know, he was there when I was in San Diego when I got sent down too. So it was kind of tough love to start. Yeah. Um, you know, my second year there, I had you know, I think I had twenty in in the World Hockey and thirty in the third year, and then he ended up going to Indianapolis and. Um, you know, I, I got traded. The, the the San Diego team folded, and they dispersed their team mm-hmm. to around the league. And I ended up going to Edmonton. And you know, I had the significant other at the time. She had a business in San Diego. She wasn't going to be able to work in the U.S. and the, uh, in the Canada. And um, 
you know, when Edmonton got me, they just kind of, like Glenn say, they just kind of sent me, uh, never talked about a contract because my contract, so I've just kind of sent me a letter like a junior tryout, bring your sneakers to camp. And so it wasn't a good start there. Yeah. And then you know, with that, um, you know, with that, they forced a trade with Indianapolis, which was, in the end, probably not, not the best idea because, uh, you know, Gretzky came a year or two later to Edmonton. Yeah, uh, I always wondered yeah. about that too. If I hadn't, I didn't force the trade, but um, you know, I think they they wanted to make a deal anyway. So and then Ron wanted me in Indianapolis, and so I ended up in Indian. We we had a bad team that year, and uh, the ownership wasn't great. So it was it was kind of a move I look back on, say, well, what if you know? I think I think we all have those what ifs in our life, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna touch on on uh, that period in a few minutes. Um, this year in um, in San Diego, you led the team in penalty match. You had 102 penalty minutes. And I have some names here of some of the guys that you fought. Uh, some guys I'm familiar with, some guys not so much. So I was hoping I could throw some names out. Let me know if uh, yeah. if it sparks any memories. Uh, first name, to me, the biggest name on this list is Jack Carlson, uh, Minnesota. I think everybody knows Jack Carlson. Uh, then I have uh, Jerry Rollins, uh, Rick Jozio. Uh, Jerry Pinder, Bill Butters, I know, uh, Pat Westrom, and John Gray. So those were the guys that I saw you fought that season. I don't know if any of those oh names God. jump out to you. I fought Jack Carlson and Rick Jozio. Yeah, that's what I saw. I don't know if it's real, but uh, those are some some pretty big names there. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't remember fighting those guys, but that's okay. probably guy I probably. I mean, those guys were heavyweights. <laughs> I remember fighting Billy Billy Butters. We fought him. I fought him three times in one game in Hartford. Mm-hmm. One time we all got. I mean, after the third fight, we got booted out. But the rest of those guys, yeah, Jerry Rollins. I remember I ended up fighting Jerry, and then became teammates later with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. John Gray. Uh, I can't remember some of the other names you threw there, but um, it's kind of a surprise, Jack Carlson and Joe Zio. Yeah. It's, you know, like I was saying, a lot of stuff with the record keeping, you know, especially because now we're 2020 and this is is mid 70s. So it's hard to say how accurate it was. But uh, in what I had seen, they had you fighting those two guys. And well, coincidentally, those are the two biggest names that jumped out at me. Yeah, those guys, they should have been fighting each other. They shouldn't have been fighting me. So one of the things I do on the show, and I did, I, uh, I like to reach out to uh, former players, either teammates or opponents, um, and get their opinion and uh, of the of my guest, which today is obviously you. Uh, one of the guys I reached out to was a player you played against, and that was Cam Connor. Uh, I wasn't sure Hi. if you if you guys had ever fought or or played. You know, I didn't. You, I knew you didn't play together, but I asked him what his opinion was, and he said. Uh, he never had the privilege of playing with you, but he remembers you fondly. Said Kevin was a tough competitor that played with a lot of heart in a tough, punchy league. I always knew that when I played against Kevin, he would bring his A game and had a winner's mentality, and he wanted me to send uh, send you his best. So, what are your recollections of playing against Cam Connor? Well, hopefully, I didn't fight Cam. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that, but that would be another guy that would jump out at me. I do, I do remember Cam quite a bit. He was a he was a real tough customer. That Houston team, man, they had – I go back and look at their roster. They had uh, an older, tougher team. Like, And Cam could play, too. Like, yeah. I mean, he was a he was a big guy. Not only was he tough, but he had, you know, he had good skill, 
too. And he ended up, I think he was in the Canadians and that, like that. I see him on Twitter now every once in a while. I should be direct messaging him, but I certainly remember him back then. And, uh, yeah, he was a big, tough guy that could play, play well. He has a podcast too. I don't know if you really listen to podcasts, but he has one and uh, it's one I enjoy. Like I said, I love listening to the old school stories. Uh, he does the show with his son and, and they just talk about the old times and everything. So I, I listen to every episode. Yeah. I think he does a great job. Yeah, I think I got him on. I think I got him on Twitter there. So I, yeah. I, I haven't seen him on there lately, but I'll have to look him up and I'll have to, I'll have to get him on there uh, as far as uh, yeah, uh, a friend for yeah. sure. Cool. Your um your last year in San Diego, uh, you were fifth on the team in scoring. You led the team in penalty minutes again. Uh, and I see some guys on here that again I'm gonna say I don't know if you fought. Um, a couple of names that I know. One of the guys. Did you actually fight Ulf Nielsen? I don't think I ever fought Ulfie, but we got into, we definitely got into uh, uh, a scrap. I don't know if it was like. I remember Ulfie, th- th- those poor Swedes, man. When those first <laughs> when those first in the league, the World Hockey. I mean, they took they took a beating. Like yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was kind of sad to see, really. Um, and you know, our guys, uh, when they come down to San Diego, you know, especially that Hedberg and Nielsen, I mean, they took, they took a beating. those guys. I remember Olfi one time he did, I think he saw me coming and I think he got a stick up and he split me pretty good for my, you know, in my lip and something stitches, but I don't, I don't remember. I'm sure I made it come back after him, but I don't yeah. remember fighting Olfi, but, um, I wouldn't be surprised that it, that did end up in a fight, but I can't, I can't really remember but I know we did have that one altercation for sure. Uh, Jerry Rollins appears again on here. Uh, Warren yeah. Miller, Ted Taylor, and the name that I know from the NHL, uh, Morris Lukowicz. Any of those names uh, ring a bell as far as the scrap goes, or no? Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see. You know, I, I didn't. I don't. Well, Teddy Taylor was a tough guy. Um, yeah. Morris Lukowicz was more a guy my size, so yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I was okay with him. He was a fast, <laughs> speedy, fast, speedy guy. Played for Winnipeg. Really good player. Teddy Taylor was a he was an old school, old school guy, I and mean, he was probably the oldest guy in that Houston Arrows team that I think won the Abigail Cup that year. Yeah. Uh, an old tougher guy. I don't remember Warren Miller too much, but mm-hmm. um, uh, the other guys I definitely remember. Yeah. So when I was, I mean, research- Pat, go one ahead. Of the you brought up before I forgot about was uh, was Pat Westrom. Yeah. And he was he was a tough customer too, and not the biggest guy either, but he was really tough too. A lot of these little guys are tough. You know all about that. So, uh, but yeah, no, those are the guys I love watching. Guys like yourself. I mean, I, I love watching. Uh, like the, you guys are animals, and uh, and I love I love that uh, I love that mentality. So uh, so yeah, I love hearing this stuff. So when I was researching this uh, about your last year in San Diego, I found this, and and you could let me know how accurate this is. Um, so the Mariners were owned by uh, a man named Ray Kroc. People may know him. He owned yep. the Padres, uh, owned McDonald's. Yeah. Um, it's, yep. it, according to this, it said the team never drew very well, uh, managed about uh, 5,000 fans per game. And it says that Kroc sold the team to a group who was going to move it to Melbourne, Florida, uh, but they couldn't find an arena. Then it was sold to uh, Flyers minority owner Bill Putnam, who changed the team name to the Florida Breakers, and he wanted to play in Hollywood, Florida. And then after that deal fell apart, Jerry Saperstein tried to buy the team and move them uh, to the same area as the Florida Ice Skaters. Uh, that deal collapsed as well. And then uh, after all those uh, attempts failed, 
the team just folded. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I didn't know, but I did hear a couple of those names, those Florida names. Um, I don't remember the, the first guy you mentioned there. Yeah. Uh, but, but Ray Kroc, what happened was back then, um, actually, we, 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 had some, we had some good crowds. San Diego was a pretty good hockey town. It was just, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see it really um, um, back there where it should be. They're getting good crowds out now, do an excellent job with the Anaheim Sperm team in there. Yeah. So it yeah. wasn't, I don't remember the crowds being that bad. I actually mm -hmm. thought we had some good crowds back then, but mm -hmm. I knew we had financial troubles. And, and part of the deal was uh, it would have been, uh, I think we might have been in there a year earlier, but Ray Kroc owned the Padres and, um, and I, the baseball, the baseball lease was up as I remember it. And I think the city went to Ray and said, look, it, um, we want to keep the hockey team. Um, we'll give you a break on the lease of the, I think it was Jack Murphy stadium back then. Yeah. And if you take over the, you know, um, the hockey team for a year and that's what it was. And they put Ballard Smith was his son-in-law back then. And he, he came in as general manager. He ended up being the general manager. Ballard was only young. He was almost our age. I think he was only early thirties. And, uh, um, and anyway, so the team, um, yeah, we went into, at some point, um, we weren't even getting paid. Mm -hmm. You know, we were just getting, we were dividing the gate up. So it was kind of unusual. I don't think that, I'm not sure if that was probably the year before Ray bought it. But once that, once that year up, I think he got the deal on the, on the lease for the baseball stadium. He did, he wasn't much of a hockey fan. So, yeah. um, you know, we were, we were destined, uh, to, to leave. It's too bad because, uh, um, what a beautiful town. Oh, absolutely. There probably isn't a better place to play. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, you, you play in a cold weather place, you may not want to stay there year round San Diego. You could, you could live there year round and play hockey and uh, hit the beach when you're not playing. Uh, there are worse places to be. Oh, you know? we used to have a, a big, we used to have a big home ice advantage. Yeah. When those teams would come back from, come down from Canada. Of course. We'd be playing. <laughs> Be playing them. Those guys would all be sunburnt. They'd be sitting out by the pool having a couple of beers before the, you know, before the game. So we were just licking our lips when those teams came down from Canada. Those cold weather places. We had quite an advantage. Oh, that's tremendous. So you already touched on the fact that you were an Oiler uh, on paper, basically, before you headed to uh, yeah. to Indianapolis. And uh, when you went to Indianapolis, uh, a couple of guys I want to ask you about. One guy who uh, I think is kind of under the radar tough, uh, who ended up spending a little time with the Islanders, and that's Dave Fortier. What do you remember about Dave? Yeah, Ports was a – he was more of a gritty guy. I yeah. don't know if Dave was ever a huge, big fighter. Right. Um, but he was a gritty guy to play against. Not the biggest guy, played mm -hmm. defense there, but he'd be blocking shots. He'd be giving his best every game. You knew when you played against him, that's for sure. I don't remember. I'm sure he got into scraps before. Yeah. Uh, but I don't remember him, you know, uh, being one of the real tough guys, uh, but he was tough to play against and real, real high character. I haven't heard his name in a while. Yeah. I forgot what Dave played on that team. We had a guy on that team that was, uh, maybe it was the year before. I don't think he was in, I don't know if he was in an Indy. It was a guy named Peter McNamee. Okay. And he was really tough. Uh, Peter was really tough. He was Joey Kosher tough. That's saying something, definitely. Yeah, um, the big hands and oh, hurt. Not he knocked guys out. Well, I think he was the only guy that I can remember. There was a guy in that league. You know, I'm sure his, his name will pop up was Kim Claxon. Oh yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And Kim was only a five foot nine. He was a bowling ball. He was really tough. He beat up some big guys, Nicky yeah. Fatu and guys like that. And I think Peter was the only guy that Kim might be, uh, Clacker might have been wary of. Because he, uh, when he hits you, he hurts you. He had these great big hands, you know. And uh, wasn't the biggest guy, probably only went probably 5'11", but really tough guy. No, I know Kim's very tough, and it's funny. Whenever someone brings up Kim Claxon, I always think of Kurt Brackenberry also. I just associate the two of them, uh, you know, with just tough, you know, tougher players, smaller guys, let's say. But you bring up Kim Claxon, I immediately go to Kurt Brackenberry also. Yeah, Brack. Good guy. <laughs> Ended up playing a few games with Brack in uh, Quebec. Yeah. Now, another guy in Indianapolis was Rosary Paymont. I think people are more familiar with yep. Wolf Paymont, but uh, what are your recollections of Rosary? Well, Rosie was a real tough guy, too. He's coming down to the end of his career when he was in Indy. Yeah. Um, you know, like Wilf was his brother and, you yeah. know, number one pick. Oh, Rosie had quite a reputation, too, back then. Like, I mean, he was a, he was a tough guy. I mean, he was winding down the years. So uh, I remember, like, he is, like, I remember he was up in Edmonton and um, uh, their new tough guy was just getting uh, was just getting going back there, a guy named Dave Semenko. Oh, boy. And, yeah. Um, Dave hit Rosie in a fight, and I don't know if Rosie, uh, if something went on with his orbital, uh, his eye, and I don't know if he ever played after that, but really good guy. Uh, ended up, um, we used to tease him, you know, because he, he had the French accent going, and we'd always tease him. He'd always have this real estate book. You know, he says, oh, I'm going to buy a place in Florida after I'm all done. And he ended up doing that, bought a hotel and a bar, and oh, I think he's still him. down. Yeah, real good guy. So, uh couple of guys that you uh well you might have fought this year you mentioned fighting uh bill butters that was this season you fought him twice in uh in uh, hartford um i think someone everybody's aware of is a gentleman by the name of steve durbano uh just uh, that guy was yeah. uh colorful may not do him justice what are your recollections of durbano well he was uh he was a scary guy. That team he played on, that uh, Buff, the Birmingham Bulls team, was a scary team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had about, you know, a dozen tough guys and, uh, I mean, legitimate enforcers playing on that team. So that was that was a team that was no fun to play against. Nobody really wanted to go in there and play against that crew. I mean, Frank Beaton was there. Dave Hansen was there. Uh, God, I can't remember. Pat Western was there. They had a top team. Jill's a guy named Jill's Bildo, Bad really news. scary tough. Yep. And um, and then and then Derby. Well, Derby more crazy. Yeah. Like he would, you know, he was. He didn't know what he was going to do. I remember in the fight I got into him with, like, and he was like, literally going after my eyeballs and stuff. So it was kind of like, he was. Um, I wouldn't. I mean, he was tough, but he wasn't as tough as some of those guys on the team. He was just a little bit. Um, but he was crazy, you know, yeah. he was like, yeah. <laughs> he, you didn't know what he was going to do. See, he was, it's so he was tough. Um, but uh, so the guys that you don't know what they're going to do are the guys that scare you. Yeah. I was going to say someone like a Dave Hansen, you know, pretty much going forward. He's a really tough guy. You're going to fight him. That's going to be it with a Durbano. You don't know what he's going to do. And you always have to keep your head on a swivel yeah. where Hansen, you know, it's going to be a pretty honest scrap and that's going to be it. Yeah. Yeah, good guy. Ended up playing with Dave later too. So yeah. and Frank beaten. Yeah, 
Um, now, this was, I think you had mentioned it. There were some issues with the uh, management in Indianapolis, correct? I don't, I think there was, uh, I don't know if it was a lawsuit later on. You were never paid all the money you were owed. Is, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. The one year that that we did there, we finished the season. We had a bad team, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that was, uh, it was kind of, a, there was an arms race that year. I think it was, uh, it was started by Birmingham bringing in all those tough guys. Right. And then the whole the, the league had to really kind of, uh, like I said, an arms war. They had to go out. I think Clacker ended up going to Winnipeg. And then there was a, a number of teams went and got a bunch of tough guys. But we didn't have any money. We had a guy, an owner named Nelson Scalbania. Yeah. And I don't think at that time he put any money into the team. So we didn't have any. <laughs> we couldn't yeah. go out and get any tough. <laughs> I think there was a guy like me and Kevin Morrison and, um, you know, Davey Forche might have been then back then. But, you know, it was. It was tough going into those buildings against those guys, for sure. And then, um, you know, uh, the next year, um, that's when Gretzky was coming in. Yeah. Uh, he basically told uh, five or six of us, I'm not going to pay your contract, sue me. And, you know, here I am in September of that year without a job and uh, really have no place to go. So it was really kind of a, a scary time back then for me. Now, did I read correctly? Were you supposed to have a tryout with the Capitals around this time? Uh, that might have, um, yeah, I think that did come up. Yeah. And that might have been, that might have been, uh, but I don't think it was at that time. I think it okay. might have been the year that I eventually ended up signing with the Islanders. Okay. I think there was a couple of options, but I don't, uh, I don't remember uh, if, if they, I do remember the Bagley for the Washington have some interest, but I thought it was the year that, when the, the leagues merged eventually or the NHL took in the four world hockey teams. Well, I'm going to take your word for it rather than what I read on the internet. I'll, I'll trust what you say rather than uh, my research on there. So well, I'm not really sure, you know, Joe, I mean, you know, it could be as years ago. I don't recall yeah. that. I do recall Washington having, having some interest at some point. I just can't recall what, what year that would have been. I got you. Uh, so you ended up with uh, Quebec. I guess you were sold. Were you sold to Quebec from <laughs> Indianapolis, or was it a trade in quotes that you were basically sold to them? Is that right? Well, it was a strange year. Like I said, we know uh, in September I really had no place to go. I ended up going to uh, Binghamton for the AHL tryout, but they just didn't. Things just didn't work there. I mean, I just you know I was coming in as a no contract. I had gear that didn't fit me. I didn't play well in the tryout, and then. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, like San Diego, there was a uh, league out in California and in Arizona, and mm-hmm. uh, Spokane, Washington team was called the Western Professional Hockey League. So there was a lot of guys that had played in San Diego who, you know, when the dispersal went, they just stayed around in San Diego and played. And it was some some really good players. Yeah, um, in that league. I mean, there was it was kind of a crazy league. Tucson had a team and they had more ushers than the fans. Um, <laughs> Phoenix had a team. Um, San Diego had a team. Spokane had a good franchise. L.A. had a franchise too. L.A. I don't know what they were called at that time, but there was, and I think even San Francisco had a team in that league. So it was a good, it was a good league. Um, I had a good year, you know, playing back with my old uh, center in, in San Diego, Joe Norris. And um, at the end of the year, our league kind of finished up, and Quebec was uh, they were hurting for players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my name came up. I ended up going up there for, I guess I was there probably for about three weeks mm-hmm. and playing five or six games. And then, but that was it. And then I think the next year, um, the next year, I think is the, the year that the leagues merged. Mm-hmm. 
So just want to touch on that San Diego team you played on. So we've, you know, over the course of this last hour, we've mentioned some pretty tough players, some pretty tough teams. But this team, when I was looking at some of the names, uh, you had yourself. Uh, Goldie played a little bit on that team, I think. Bruce yeah. Gregg. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Rollins. Yeah. John Shella. Yeah. Owen Lloyd. I mean, you guys were, uh, I mean, were you yeah. guys uh, the scourge of the league? Uh, that's a pretty formidable lineup there. Well, I'm sure each league and each team, um, you know, had their had their guns. But you look back at that team, that was, you know, and look back at some of those names that, yeah, yeah like that Bruce Grigg, he was really tough. Roley was really tough. Uh, so we had some tough customers on that team, no doubt. But um, I think uh, we had, uh, I'm not sure if we won the league that year. If we didn't, we had a good team. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of uh, ex-guys that were in the world hockey, just decided to stay out in San Diego instead of, um, after the dispersal draft and stuff, but yeah, some tough customers on the team. Somebody else brought that up to me. Um, I think it was uh, Liam McGuire when Goldie was doing his uh, uh, when Goldie did his book thing. A guy named Liam McGuire. I yep. don't know he's on Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, he mentioned that team, and we we were up in the stage there doing a thing with Goldie when he was promoting his book, and he brought that team up too. So yeah, it was quite a. I don't know how many penalty minutes were racked up on that team, but quite a few. And you had 119 on your own. And just, I always like to say this to people because I don't, I, I, my whole thing is tough players can play. If you're given an opportunity to play and not just sit on the bench and get two shifts a game, you know, I just want to point out that year you played 58 games, you had 72 points, you had 36 and 36. So, you know, I, I think throughout your career, your numbers would say that when you got a chance to play, you always put up the points too, and you didn't shy away from the rough stuff. But uh, one other guy that played on that team, uh, is this correct that Willie O'Ree did play on that team also? Yeah. Yeah. I played with Willie. I hate to say that because it kind of dates me a little bit, <laughs> but actually uh, I think we, Willie was on our line. Me and Joe Norris and Willie played together. Nice. And Willie probably back then was like uh, 42. So he was from San Diego. Yeah. And, um, you know, he could still, he could still fly. I think he was, I think he was 42 years old when he played. Wow. And he could still skate like the wind. Yeah. It was, uh, that's something else. Um, uh, I, I, like I said, a lot of times I don't tell people I play with Willie. <laughs> it's me a little bit, but he was a awesome guy. Um, so good to see that, um, how the NHL got involved with him. He's just a great ambassador yeah. uh, for the game and really had, uh, you know, uh, really had fun playing with him. We we always used to play golf a little bit too. So uh, it was fun to play with Willie, and I'm just glad that he's finally got his due. Just do what you always do. Make sure that people realize it wasn't when he first broke into hockey. It was when he was 42, and then that it's not as bad, you know, because I think everyone kind of, you think of Willie O'Ree, you think of the black and white picture and the Bruins uniform and everything. But if he's if he's 42 in San Diego, it doesn't sound like it was so long ago. No, no, but he was he was still a good player. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, and when you went to Quebec, like you say, you played five games. You, know, you were there a couple of weeks, but again, this season you played with some uh, some pretty bad dudes. And, and Quebec that year, and even though you're only yeah. there for a few weeks, uh, they had Paul Baxter, they had Wally Weir, uh, Brackenberry, <laughs> uh, Bad News Bilodeau, Serge Bernier, yeah. Bob Fitchner. And then you had guys who could score like uh, Riel Cloutier and Mark Tardif. So that Quebec team had to be a pretty interesting team to be around as well. Oh, that was a good team. I mean, that's where um, – and Serge Bernier was uh, – uh, he was tough, but he was more of a player. Yeah. Um, he didn't 
you know, Brack was on that team. Brack really kind of took me under his wing there. Um, you know, and then uh, there was bad news. Jules was there who, yep. like a lot, like a lot of tough guys are the, just the nicest guy mm-hmm. off the, off the ice. And he was, um, he was a guy that, you know, just totally different what you saw when you played on the ice. But he was probably, he was probably the scare. When I first saw that guy skating around the ice in Birmingham, I thought, you know, he looked like he just got out of prison for 20 years. He was, <laughs> he was the scariest looking dude I'd ever seen. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, he was one of the nicest guys that, uh, on that Quebec team. Now, on a personal note, I have to ask you, uh, I'm very good friends with his son, uh, and I've, I've spoken to him on the phone a bunch of times. Uh, during your time in the WHA, did you ever play against Terry Ryan Sr.? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I played against Terry. Now, I played against Terry, I think, also in junior. Okay. Like, I think he was. I think he was in Hamilton my first year when I was in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just got to meet, you know, Terry, he was, Terry was over for, uh, Goldie's, uh, book thing here. And Pete, yeah, they have a, okay. have a golf tournament, a golf tournament every year. And mm-hmm. we had, we, we caught up a little bit and, uh, yeah, good guy. Really good. Guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great storyteller. Yeah, I think he played against his dad in Hamilton. Um, I don't remember from the world hockey as much, but mm-hmm. I do remember playing against him in junior. So um, when the, the season ended Quebec and the merger happens, uh, were you a free agent that you didn't come into the league with Quebec and that, that's how you ended up signing with the Islanders? Well, as it turned out, you know, um, you know, the, of course, now the, you know, the Leafs are long gone. The Leafs didn't care about me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there was a guy named Jimmy Devalano. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, when I was in Toronto playing junior, Jimmy was just starting to scout for, I believe, St. Louis at the time. So Jimmy had remembered me from junior. He knew what I'd played in Indianapolis, um, you know, the year before in the world hockey. And uh, so I had kind of a name recognition there. And they were moving there. The Islanders were moving their farm team from Fort Worth mm-hmm. up to Indianapolis. So, you know, Jimmy just, uh, I was looking for a job. And Jimmy put, you know, knew that I had a little bit of rain, uh, name recognition. He liked the way I played. So um, that's how I ended up with the Islanders. Jimmy is, uh, to me, one of the more underrated guys in terms of the dynasty years because obviously everybody knows yeah. the big names and, and Coach Arbor and Mr. Torrey. But uh, Jimmy was a big part of that that dynasty uh, era. I mean, just, uh, you know, like I said, and, and his name stands alone with what he later did in Detroit, but he's a guy that I, I don't think gets enough recognition, to be honest with you. Well, back then, I mean, he was, you know, he would have had a lot to do with some of those guys they brought in, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, him and, and Tex Eamon, mm-hmm. I think, were, there, uh, were the scouts. So he had a lot to do with uh, how they built that team, you know? I mean, Everybody wants to take credit for Mike Bossy, but it was probably Jimmy that had a lot to do with it. Now, uh, we had talked about before when I brought up the Capitals, uh, when you, before you signed with the Islanders, were there other teams that were interested, or were, did you really have your sights set signing with that organization? And like you said, because of their farm team going to Indianapolis and you had the name recognition, was that, your, was that uh, the primary focus, or did you have the opportunity maybe to talk to some other teams? You know, no, I don't really, really remember talking to that. That might have been when the Capitals were, were involved a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I had uh, one of my best friends was in the Islander organization. He played in Fort Worth the year before, a guy named Garth McGuigan, mm-hmm. who still remains one of my best friends today. 
So we were also all real tight when back in PEI. So that was uh, really attractive too. And the fact that I was going back to Indianapolis and, you know, the fact that it seemed like the Islanders were glad to have me and the Islanders were kind of going, um, you know, they were a little bit, I wouldn't say turmoil, but the year before they lost out, I believe, to the Leafs. And the, and for yep. a while, everybody yes. and the Islanders really never reached uh, their expectations. And finally that year, because I remember going into training camp that year, it was a war. Like, those guys went at it. Like, Bobby Nye and Clarkie, those guys were all going at it hard. Like, you know, it was a training camp was a war. But yeah. they were looking to make, you know, there was no guaranteed spots except for, you know, the top guys. Like, obviously, Trotz and Bossy. Right. Um, you know, but it would, I just remember that training camp was a nasty training camp. It was It was tough. Um, did you see any action in any preseason games at camp? Yeah, I played in a couple. Um, you know, Billy McMillan was an assistant coach back then. Mm-hmm. And Billy, of course, is from PEI. And um, I had a real good camp. And, you know, talking to Billy, he says, you know, you're one of the last cuts. And he says, you almost made it, you know. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, Gary Howard or you, but they really know Howie. And, and we're going to go with, uh, you know, with Howie to start. And, but just knowing that you had a real good camp. And, you know, as it turned out, it was, uh, that was the year they won their first cup. Yep. Uh, and how he's, uh, uh, I wasn't in his category as toughness. He was, he was one tough too, too. That was, uh, you know, I think the Islanders finally got over the hump that year. They, when they played the Bruins, mm-hmm. uh, it was a knockdown drag them out series. And I think they finally got over the hump that they weren't, uh, they weren't a tough enough team to win the Stanley cup. And, uh, I think that put them over the hump. Oh, definitely. I mean, that, that Bruins series and the uh, series of fights, especially with Gillies and O'Reilly, but there were other ones too. Uh, that's stuff that's forever etched in Islanders lore. I mean, you just mentioned that to any yeah. Islander fan here, and we all get big smiles on our faces and everything, especially I was I was nine at the time, but I remember watching these games. And, uh, you know, you don't really, you don't, I don't know the game as well, at, you know, back then as I do now, but back then it was kind of just like, oh my God, these guys are just crazy. And they're so, you know, you just watch a guy like Bossy or Trotty or, or Podvin and you just see how talented they are. So you don't really absorb it as oh, much as you Yeah, you don't absorb it as much as you do when you're older, like for myself going through that. But what, I mean, what a team to watch. And uh, that's why I was wondering, like for someone like yourself, who's a pro uh, and you're in camp, I mean, when you see all those names, you see that the, just the lineup of guys they have not intimidating in in the traditional sense but you knew i guess you knew that you had a pretty big mountain to climb to to make the team and it and sounds like you had a great camp yeah i mean i i knew that um but you know at the same time i played against some you know in the world hockey i played against some pretty good teams like like you know like with hall and tedberg and yeah, oh yeah you know um so i played, i played some strong competition so um, it was, I'm sure it was a little intimidating back then, but I don't remember going in thinking like, I, I remember going in trying to make the team. I, I didn't ever think like, okay, I'm headed to Indy, um, but I, which is my likely destination because, you know, we talked about before, but, yeah. um, I didn't go in with that. I didn't feel really intimidated. I did get into a couple of preseason games and at the end of the year that year, uh, I was one of the black aces they called up. So I, I was there, um, you know, I watched them win the Stanley Cup, and I think I got there halfway through the Buffalo series. So right. um, that was pretty exciting, too. So you got to celebrate and everything with that first cup? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. Very um, nice. 
I can still remember. Uh, we were going to get there. I think there's four of us get called up. Yeah. Richie Baudur was one of them, and a guy named Alex McKendry and Kelly Davis and somebody else. I can't remember. There was four of us, but um, they were always sitting. They were already healthy scratch and two or three guys. So it was, it was a long shot whether I was going to play or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but quite enjoyable sitting in the stands making, I don't know, three or $400 a game just watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'll always remember that a Saturday afternoon when, you know, the Isles had a, I think we had a 4-2 lead, you know, with, with uh, you know, going into the third period or early in the third period and thought we had it locked up. And then, uh, you know, Flyers came back and tied it. And, and then Bobby Nye, we, we had moved down. We were up in the stands. Mm-hmm. Me and this guy named Kelly Davis, we moved down to where the Islanders um, – you know, came out onto the ice. Mm-hmm. So when Bobby Nye scored that goal, we were right there. That was right where that all happened. So it was That's unbelievable, awesome. you know, exciting. We had, It was too bad back then. Now you see everybody on the ice. Yeah. It wasn't like back team just went on the ice. We didn't get to go on the ice and everything, but we're obviously in the dressing room and, and celebrating with a guy. So that was, uh, that was pretty exciting. I, mean, I remember, <laughs> you know, uh, the, uh, they won on a Saturday and then, um, Finally, we were at a meal money, me and my Kelly Davis, a roommate, you know, we're like, so we called him up. I think we called him up on Tuesday and said, look at, you know, we need a flight home. Like we're, and they, I remember the girl saying, you guys still here? And I was like, yeah, we're still here. And you guys got on to go on the parade on Thursday? And we, I said, no, nah, we're, you know, we're ready to go home. So, and yeah. you know, plus we weren't really, we weren't really, really part of it, right? We were just yeah. kind of one of the black aces that really got never got to play so mm-hmm. that was always funny because we'd call them up and they're, are you guys still here yeah we're still here so, <laughs> so that was pretty exciting now uh, when you talk about the leafs and how once you went to wha it was that was it uh so i'm sure from uh nhl management and and individual team management they had no use for the wha how was it coming in as a player in the nhl where the players I assume that the players kind of understood it's a job and uh, if you can make more money or circumstances dictate you go to that league. Was there any sort of resentment from the players or that was strictly basically from management in terms of how they looked at the WHA? Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. I don't think there was, but yeah. I do remember, you know, coming into um, meeting with our, our – Burt Marshall was the coach down in Indy that year. Mm-hmm. And I come in from the world hockey, and I remember Bert sitting me down before, um, you know, before the season started, and he really kind of read me the riot act. He didn't know me really. Yeah. Um, kind of yeah. read me the riot act, as you know, I didn't want because there was a reputation that it was a retirement league, floaters. I mean, it maybe started out that way the first couple of years, but at the end, that was a really good league. Yeah. And so yeah. I remember him reading me the riot act, um, you know. Don't make sure you're, you're you're playing hard. You're not floating. He obviously didn't know my game. Yeah. And uh, you know, about three weeks or a month later, he named me captain. So yeah. uh, we get over that quick. Yeah, I bet. But I, you know, answer your question. I guess there probably was a little bit. Um, I don't think the players cared because right. you know it pumped everybody's stout salaries up, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of uh, that league got the salaries up a lot more than it would have been if they just had been the NHL. So. I don't think I think they kind of had the reputation that it was kind of a retirement league yeah. for the older players. They just took the money, and and that was probably probably true for the first couple of years. But the last last three or four years in the World Hockey, they were, they were strong teams. 
Now, two guys you played with that first year in Indy, uh, obviously I'm fans of both of them. One is uh, Hector, the protector Marini, and uh, Ivan yeah. Vator. Uh, what do you remember of those two guys? Well, both tough guys. Yeah. Both tough guys. And Hector, Hector was probably the ugliest player you'd ever see skate, <laughs> put on a pair of skates. Yeah. But um, he could play. Like, he had, he was a big power forward. Like, he was the ugliest skater you ever saw. Mm. And, then, you know, he ended up being an all-star. I think he was an all-star for, uh, I know you played for New Jersey. Yeah, remember, New Jersey. Really, yeah. Uh, really power forward guy, tough guy. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, I remember Jimmy Nill, uh, you know, uh, was playing in Salt Lake that year. Jimmy Nill was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. And I'd fought him. Um, you know, he was a lefty, so he kind of surprised me a little bit. But he did something to one of our players, you know, and Hector went out after that first period and said, okay, me, me and you are going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hector beat him, uh, and, uh, just all kinds of respect for him. Great guy. Um, just, uh, had no airs about him. Yeah. Um, still talk about, still laugh and joke about those days. We had some characters on that, on that, uh, indie team. Yeah. And then Ivan, same kind of thing, like really kind of a, you know, kind of a more of a power forward guy, uh, same kind of thing, probably a little bit better than, than um, skater than than uh, Hector, but another tough guy. You know, he was a maritime kid too. Yeah. So uh, I think he played, I think he was from St. John, and you know, I have run into Ivan from time to time over the years. So uh, he was, uh, they had some good teams down there, man. They had some, there was one year that we won uh, all three titles. We won the CHL, we won, the Islanders won, and then, I think Toledo was our farm team in the eye, and they won that year too. So there was plenty of depth in the in the island organization. So I was I was going to ask you about that. Um, you obviously had your experience that first year in camp with the Islanders, and obviously you see the talent that they have up there. Um, and you're talking about even the team below you had a lot of talent. Um, not that is it tough because obviously it's your job, but. With, with another organization, if you're on their minor league team and their top affiliate, maybe you have a chance to get up to the NHL. But were you yep. not content, but were you happy with your position with the organization? Obviously, the best case scenario is that you're with the Islanders, but some people may be disenchanted knowing that no matter what they do in Indianapolis, they may not ever get a shot with the uh, team here on Long Island. Uh, how did you handle that? Well, you know, I was up. So now I'm... Uh... You know, I'm on, on the Islanders now. Now I'm, I'm first 79. So, you know, now I'm 25 years old, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the days are sliding by for me as far as the pro. But, and back then it was different. You, there was no such thing as kind of you can just go to another team. Like these right. contracts up and, uh, you know, you've played so many games, so you're, you're in UFA. There was none of that. You couldn't – once you sign a contract with the Islanders, if they wanted to keep you, they could keep you. You own the rights and people had to trade for you. So – the movement around wasn't, but you know what? We got treated excellent by the Islanders. I mean, they treated their farm team awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we had success there, uh, won a couple of championships. So, you know, as the years went by, you just kind of like, okay, you, you hope you, you never give up hope. But it, it wasn't really. You always, I always look back and say, well, of course, when you're, you're older, you always think you're really better than you were. But um, they always think back then if it was today, could I have played in the league? And I think I probably could have played in today's league because uh, I don't think the size thing is as much um, of a difference now as it used to be back then. That I agree with you 100%. Um, 
So as I said, I reached out to some some of your opponents. Another guy I reached out to was a guy that you played against uh, in uh, 1980-81. He was in Birmingham. Uh, gentlemen, I'm sure you're familiar with Mr. Tim Hunter. Uh, I'm sure you know who he is. So uh, I had uh, messaged Timmy and I asked him uh, if he could give me any recollections. And uh, he said, Kevin was Crazy. a pain. He said, Kevin was a pain in the ass. Very tough for a smaller guy. John Brophy got pissed at me for not kicking the shit out of him, but he was 5'8 and I wasn't about to fight him. One of those super pests, he could score and piss people off. And I think he meant every word of that in the most complimentary of terms. So uh, what was it like playing against uh, a young Tim Hunter back then? Well, he was a tough guy too, yeah. man. I mean, God, okay. Uh, you know, I'm glad he didn't decide to beat me up because he had a team. <laughs> he had a guy, I don't know if Dave Richter was on the team back then, but he had no problem doing it. Yeah. Dave Richter was about six foot five, but Tim was a really, uh, really hard nosed guy to play against. I mean, uh, he was tough. Like yeah. he, I remember him and a couple of guys are teeing off an Indianapolis team, and he was one tough dude. I mean, yeah, he's, he's done well for. I mean, Tim Hunter. I appreciate is a, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on your words here, but no, Tim Hunter's a legend. I mean, he's he is what he is. I mean, he's Stanley Cup champion. He's done well for himself afterwards, coaching. I mean, this guy is a legend, and uh, you know, there's really. You could go on and on about the guy, but everybody knows who Tim Hunter is, and uh, you know you played well, against a young, a young, uh, scrappy Tim Hunter, I yeah. guess. And I, I would feel, I would say the same thing if I were you. I'm glad he didn't kick the shit out of me, also. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't actually call him scrappy. He was uh, well, yeah, he was. You know, I, I was called scrappy. <laughs> well, listen, he's Tim Hunter. He was, he, he, Call him whatever you want. Just, uh, just do yeah. it with respect. But I guess I'll, I'll ask: What was it like playing against a John Brophy team? Everybody knows Brophy is a legend, and uh, he liked his teams tough. What was it like playing against a John Brophy team? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a lot of fun, man. I got to tell you, <laughs> we went into that Birmingham team, and it was like, uh, you know, uh, like some guy said, you know, you get off the bus, and well, the bus was still shaking. Um, <laughs> You know, so we just you just wanted to get out of there, you know, alive. If you got like a if you got a point out of there, uh, you were happy. But uh, most of you wanted to get it. You wanted to get in and out of there as quick as possible with your life intact. But it was no fun playing against those teams. I got to tell you. Did you ever make? I I think I, I've read a lot of uh, people say that when they played against Brophy, if you made him mad enough, his face turned bright red. Did you ever do anything to turn Brophy bright red? <laughs> I don't know if I did or not, you know. Uh, uh, I hope I didn't. You know, obviously, Brophy in another maritime race, he's got yeah. quite a reputation for himself, too, back there. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the perfect guy to be coaching that team, for sure, you know. And, um, uh, you know, you had to stick up for yourself, too. Yeah. Otherwise, they would just take advantage of you, like, you know. So, um, you know, he probably did. I'm glad Tim didn't pay attention to him when he did get <laughs> Yeah, he's tough and classy. That's all you need to know about Tim Hunter, I guess. Yeah. And uh, that year, 80-81, you won the Ironman Award in the CHL. You had a great season. You played uh, 80 games, 54 points, 153 pims. Um, the Ironman Award, is that what it sounds like? You know, just uh, you, you didn't miss games and you, you played physical. What was that about? Yeah, it was more you know, It was more like um, you had to play every game. Yeah. Um, and then it was more it was more of a leadership thing and play every game so um that was basically it, really nothing to do with toughness or anything like that and you had to be you know i probably had, i had decent stats that year too so 
So part of it was just, uh, you know, playing all the games, leadership, and then, you know, being, um, making sure you had your, you had decent stats and that kind of stuff that qualified you for that. Now, being in Indianapolis, you got a, you got a firsthand look at a couple of goalies uh, that would be key contributors yeah. for the Islanders down the road. Uh, one year you played with Roly Melanson, and the next year you played with Kelly Rudy. Uh, could you just see, I mean, did, when, when guys like that are down in the minors, can you just see that they're different than like other, other goalies in the league? Like they're, you, there's just a difference about them that you know they're destined to be NHL players? Yeah, I, I definitely could, especially with Kelly Rudy. Um, you know, you could see when he first came in, he was like MVP that year that uh, um, that we won the CHL championship. Um, you could see him in there. He was really kind of a uh, he was really kind of a sleepy guy back then, right? He was really uh, you know he was quiet, like he he liked to sleep a lot, he liked to sleep in. <laughs> but when he got between those nights, you could just tell that um, not only was he athletic, but he had, he was well ahead of like um, a lot of goalies back then as far as technique and all that. So, and, and Roley was, Roley was really good too. Well, I would say Roley was probably more of an athletic guy versus Kelly, but we had some great goalies down there. You know, Richard Brodeur was down there too. Yeah, that's King true. Richard, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, we had some great goalies down there for sure. Now, that season, 81-82, you were second on the team at penalty minutes. Uh, one guy that you fought, and I asked because later on down the road, he actually played uh, a few games for the Islanders minor league team in Capital District, and that was a player that was on Wichita at the time. I think most people know him from the Bruins, and that would be John Blum. Do you remember you running with John? Blummer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was turned out, you know, it turned out I got to know John years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was coaching, he was coaching in the United League, and I was a assistant coach with Dave Cameron. So, and those guys were pretty tight friends. So I got to know them. But yeah, I remember Plummer back then. Uh, you know, tough guy, heart and soul guy. Um, really, kind of became good friends with him after uh, I met him in the, in the United League there. So I definitely do remember Plummer. Now, as I was looking at this, there were, and I was looking at the penalty minute leaders. Uh, there were two names that jumped out at me because honestly. Um, they surprised me. Two guys in the top ten in penalty minutes, and people will know them as coaches. One was Alan Vigneault, and one really blew my mind. And Rick Bonus, uh, were they physical players oh. back then? Oh, they're tough guys. Both those guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Bones is uh, he's a Maritimer too. I play in his golf tournament every year. Yeah. We go right back, and it's funny to just recently, I don't know, three or four months ago, I was looking at that old uh, the lineups of that last Memorial Cup game against the Ramparts and I didn't realize that Rick had been on that team. Oh wow. And he was he was he was he was real tight with uh, I think he played junior with my good friend Garth McWigan. So okay. he was really tough too. And Alain Bigno was was really tough too. I played against him in Salt Lake and another guy uh who played on that team, Claude Julian. Yeah. Another tough guy. So those guys all played in Salt Lake City, all tough guys and uh uh I remember one time, like, Vigneault was uh, we're playing in Salt Lake City, and, oh, there was – I thought their goalie knocked my tooth out. I, the one tooth I did get knocked out in my career, I got knocked out with a stick. I thought it was their goalie. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it wasn't him. It was another player. But, uh, you know, after I got sold up and everything, next shift out, this was right in Salt Lake City. Like, I just went in, and I he came out of his net, and I just – I cartwheeled him, you know. <laughs> and – 
and uh, nobody on their team did anything. I just kind of skate to the box. Yeah. <laughs> Vigno comes off. Vigno comes off. I just get into the box before Vigno got there. Thank God. So Tex Evans sent him out there and sort of straightened me out. But anyway, yeah, uh, Alain, all those guys, tough guys. It, you know, Vigno, he spent some time here coaching the Rangers and the, you know, he always had the nice suits yeah. on and he had, he was always tan yeah. and his hair was never out of place. And of course, you know, Rick was coaching here for a while with the Islanders and always a very nice man, really mild mannered. Yeah. So when I saw those two names, I said, especially, like I said, with, with Rick bonus, he just never struck me as the type that would be aggressive in anything. He just seems like this really peaceful uh mellow guy so i was it was sort of i don't want to say pleasantly surprised but i was like oh way to go rick i'm glad you were up there in the pimps for a little bit oh no he was a, he was a tough dude for yeah. sure yeah uh, you know and and elaine of course elaine coached coached down here in charlottetown yeah junior mm-hmm. so i got to know him a little bit and that's a long time ago but um yeah i can remember those guys fondly we we had quite a rivalry with against uh Salt Lake City and uh, Indy were both the, they were St. Louis and every year we were the top team. So we went at each other pretty good. And of course, this was the first year uh, Indianapolis checkers win the Adams cup. You beat Dallas. Uh, what do you remember from that run to the first cup? Well, first of all, we didn't, uh, you know, I think we finished overall uh, third or fourth in the league. So it was kind of a little bit of a just run at the end, but we had, you know, we had great chemistry. We had an old crusty coach named Fred Creighton who really got the most out of us. Um, uh, and he just wouldn't, he wouldn't let us lose, you know. Mm-hmm. But we get on the run there early. We, were, we had an early series against Tulsa that, you know, if you looked at the standings, uh, the teams were pretty evenly matched. But, um, you know, we, uh, we had Kelly Rudy in Nets and uh, – you know, we got off to a good start against Tulsa. We went in there. I think we went in there in uh, the first game in Tulsa. I think we waxed them like 6 nothing or something, and mm-hmm. we ended up sweeping them in the series. And then the next series was against Wichita. And Wichita had a lot of good players sent down from Edmonton. They really stacked their team. Um, but, you know, when we went in there, I remember the first game was in Edmonton because Wichita didn't have their rink for some reason. So we played it in Edmonton in front of about 12,000 fans. And uh, I scored the winner with, I think, about a minute left nice. to beat them 3-2. But we really had no business winning that game. Kelly really won us the game. Mm-hmm. And after that, we, you know, the next game, we, we beat him again. And we ended up beating them four straight. So, um, and then we played Dallas in the finals. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Dallas couldn't get their rink or something. And I think beat them in six games. And I think five of those games were, were in Indy. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so I think oh, we four two. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise, but we, you know, we came together at the right time. We had we had really good chemistry, and then we had Kelly Rudy and Nets. Going into the next season, there's three players I want to ask you about. Uh, one guy we've mentioned already; he was an opponent in a few scraps. Now you got to actually be his teammate, and that's Dave Hansen. Uh, what was Dave like as a teammate? <laughs> a really good guy, very quiet guy. Mm-hmm. I mean. Very dry sense of humor. You know, he wouldn't, he didn't talk a lot, you know, but he was just one of these, again, one of these tough guys that were, you know, had a whole different persona off the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good guy. Uh, we ended up, I think we actually played in the same line together. Um, so he got to play, you know, Fred played him. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't an enforcer. He played, uh, you know, uh, an intricate part on our team. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and a really good guy. Um, I hope to run into him one of these days when those guys are doing their act. Yeah, but, yeah uh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, what was that ever? Uh, did, did you guys talk about that? I mean, uh, for everyone that doesn't know, Dave Hansen was one of the, the Hansen brothers in Slapshot. So, uh, yeah. so what, what, I mean, did he talk about that or was it something that he kind of was low key about? What was his uh, attitude towards that? Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah, Slapshot would have been done by then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I know he, I just remember him talking about, um, just talking about Paul Newman. Yeah. And saying what a what a tremendous guy he was. I remember that's pretty well the only thing I remember about, you know, probably if I look back a little bit more that I could probably remember. I remember Stevie Carlson that year, I think, got married and I don't know if they had a reception at Paul's place or nothing, but he couldn't stop talking about how what kind of a classy guy that Paul Newman was. So he didn't go on about a little bit any much any more than that, but mm-hmm. uh you know, <laughs> I told a lot of people, you know, uh this year before before that film, uh, movie comes out, before you watch it, they should have had a, a paragraph said inspired by a true story because there wasn't <laughs> it wasn't too far from uh, what it actually was like back then. Yeah, no, that's that's something that I I love. Uh, you know, just doing some research and and things like that. Just I know for a fact, and I think, and it's not that I'm the only one. I mean, people that like the physical game. I think we all know it that back then, I mean, the, it wasn't that far off. Like I think people might watch it now and just be like, God, this is a gong show. But I, I think back then for anyone that was in the game, so, someone like yourself, you're watching it and go, yeah, that's like a Tuesday or a Wednesday in our league. It's not, uh, it's not that much. And I think as far as Dave goes with, I don't think the movie, I, I don't think it blew up till probably years later. I, I think uh, I think these guys uh, became folk heroes several years later, and I think it's just it became a cult classic as the years go on and the yeah. years go on. Where now they're they're icons, but I'm not sure it happened overnight. Well, that that's funny you say that. I can't really remember that. Uh, you know, I think it did become a, a kind of a, a a cult show. Really, yeah. I mean, it just kind of took yeah. on, and like a, I think that's it. Just kind of took off. And you know now it's a classic, you know. And uh, those guys have made those guys have, uh, uh, you know, got their act going around. And they've they've made a they've made a goal that from promoting that show and and the characters in that show. Now, two other players you played with that I want to ask you about. One guy I don't think joined the team until in the playoffs, but they're uh, young, feisty defensemen. One was Gordy Deneen and uh, Gerald Diddick. And like I said, yeah. I think Diddick. I don't think Diddick played on uh, joined you guys till the playoffs. But what do you remember about those two guys? Well, Gerald was their first pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure Gerald was their first pick, and he came in. You know, when the junior teams finished up, yeah, uh, they would take those guys in and they put them with the with the teams coming in. So I don't remember a lot about Gerald playing there yeah. a little bit. I can remember a little bit, you know, he was a you know, tough old fashioned defensive D mm-hmm. uh, quiet guy, tough guy, you know, but he I don't know how much he played back then. in know in that series, I can't really remember, but I know Gordy. Well, yeah. uh, you know, we, we kept in touch over the years and he was in, you know, with me being with the Sabres and uh, his, his experience with Rochester over the yeah. last three or four years. Um, you know, we got to know, uh, I'd run into him all the time. Mm-hmm. I know the whole family, the Neen family, like Bill, Bill coached in the, yep. in the world hot, you know, I know all his brothers, Peter and Sean. So pretty familiar with Gordy, great guy, uh, really quiet. And he was a tough customer too. Definitely. And he was, he was a lefty. Mm-hmm. I remember he came in, he was, he was so quiet, you know, like, um, 
And he was, <laughs> if he'd make a mistake, he'd, he'd come to the bench, he'd put his hand down saying, sorry, boys, you know. Like, <laughs> so we, we had a lot of fun with that, like a guy like Darcy Regeer on that team. We had a lot of fun with Gordy. Wow. Uh, he's made a, made a pretty good living out of it over the years. Um, I think he was part of that Pat LaFontaine goal, right? Yep, he was on the um, ice. Mm-hmm. Rushing, I think he might have even had an assist on that goal. But anyway, uh, yeah, tough guy. Um, uh, excellent, excellent man. Great family. Well, there were two guys I wanted to ask you about that you played against that season. One guy you already mentioned, Dave Richter, and everyone that anyone that's watching plays know the guy knows the guy's an animal. Uh, but you played against someone in Salt Lake that has always been a favorite player of mine, and that was Gord Donnelly. Do you have any recollections of playing against Gord Donnelly? Oh yeah, another another tough guy. They had a yeah. tough team, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've gotten to over the years because you know he's he scouted for a long time, still scouting yep. for the Blackhawks. But I do remember Gordy, like he was another guy that was like big and tough, you know, I mean, uh, he was kind of a scary dude too because he, he'd give you the lumber too. Yeah. But um, I, I don't remember him quite as much. Mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know if uh, how much, what the age difference in there between Gordy, but I definitely, I definitely remember him being another tough guy too. I don't, I never, I never tangled with Gordy. Uh, price. No, yeah, I didn't have you fighting him. I just had you playing against him. And like I said, I've always been yeah. a big fan of his. So I said, oh, let me find out what it was like playing against a young Gord Donnelly. Yeah, yeah, well, he was. I remember him being a tough customer yeah. for sure. Now, this was the season uh, that you ended up playing a few games with the Islanders. So uh, I'll have to ask, do you remember uh, getting the word that you were getting called up? And, and uh, was it at the rink? Was it a phone call? Do you remember how that uh, came about? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I should tell the story or not, but I'm going to. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I remember we were in Salt Lake City. It was early in the season. And like I said, we've had this hot rivalry with with Salt Lake uh, for, you know, two or three years, you know, all being at the top of the league. And we had not won in Salt Lake in a long time. Like, you know, it was only a six or seven team league, so you played each other a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we, every time we went to Salt Lake, we played two games. So it was a Friday and Saturday, and I think we had lost eight or nine in a row at the Salt Palace in there. And uh, we go in and we lose on Friday night. And uh, Saturday night we win. So we, we don't play till the next weekend. Uh, our flight the next day is at 12 o'clock. Freddie Creighton's the coach. He gives on the cap and he gives me like 300 bucks. He says, take the boys out and get them a few drinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which we do. The 300 bucks is gone in probably 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we all go out as a team and we had a good time, you know. So, uh, obviously, we all, we all get home late. Um, I get home late, you know, I see the. Now I'm, tw- now I'm like 28 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, or somewhere, yeah, I think I was 28, 27, 28. But anyway, I come home, and, you know, there's a, uh, a red light's blinking on the, on the phone. Uh, I don't know what time of the morning it is, 2.30 yeah. or whatever. <laughs> you know, I pick up the phone, and it says, call the coach. And I said, yeah, right, you know, like, we get lots of jokers on that team, right? So I said, I'm not calling Fred Creighton at 2.30 in the morning. You think I'm crazy. <laughs> so I don't bother calling him, right? So 7 o'clock in the morning, right, I hear this loud banging on my door, and it's Fred. <laughs> he says, get up, get dressed in a hurry. You're playing in Chicago tonight. Tonelli got hurt. Oh, wow. You know, you know so I've got, yeah. now I've got like 
four hours sleep. Yeah. I'm hungover a little bit, you know, and I'm going to play my first NHL game. I got to travel from Salt Lake City to Chicago, um, you know, to catch. I think the game was at six o'clock that night. So it was a long day. My pregame meal was on the plane. Yeah. Fred came with me. Okay. Um, you know, I just get to the game on time. And I just always remember that the Islanders were uh, defending champs. Mm-hmm. And Chicago had gotten off to a really hot start that year. I think they were like they'd won the first six games or the first eight games. So the place, the old Chicago Stadium, was just rocking. Yeah, I bet. And I figured, okay, I'm going to go in. They're going to stick me on the fourth line. You know, I'm going to play about eight minutes. I'll be okay. No, no, right on to the third line where Tonelli was with Merrick and Nystrom, right? So <laughs> I played the yeah. whole game. I'm running. My, my shift's in the third period are about 20 seconds long. You know? It's three and you know, I was out late the night before. This is my first NHL game, you know. Um, what are the odds, right? So, right. Uh, anyway, I'll always remember that. I got through that game. Um, I don't think I had no points. I think I got a penalty that game. I got on the score sheet anyway. Yep. But um, So, that was quite – that was my first NHL game. Now, obviously, the cool a cool thing would be your first NHL game, you play at the home rink of your team – but if there was a road rink to play at, Chicago had to be it. And like you said, Chicago always had, you know, not always, but at that time they were always contenders. They had good teams. The place is full. You're in that old Chicago stadium. They got the Oregon going. The fans are right on top of you. Even though you had a rough night the night before, I mean, that you had to get yeah. goosebumps being out there for the anthems and everything oh, yeah. like that. I, how, how exciting was that? Oh, that was unbelievable. That, like, you know, that uh... – the adrenaline just uh, like just fought off yeah. all uh, the, the late night the night before. I didn't uh, that didn't really kick into the third period, but that was just amazing to you know play in my first NHL game and then to do it in Chicago Stadium and then you know the Blackhawks were undefeated and then the Islanders were defending champs and yeah, it was really something. I mean the, the national anthem it was yeah. it's something yeah. I'll always remember. I, I think the I think the Blackhawks beat us that game four two. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, yeah, always something I'll always remember, and um, you know, to play with uh, Wayne Merrick and, and John Tanel, uh, uh, Bobby Knight was pretty exciting too. And then two days later, you find yourself at the home rink here at Nassau Coliseum against Calgary, and you got on the score sheet. You had six penalty minutes that game. You took three minors, but you got an assist on uh, Dave Longevin goal. Do you remember that play? Yeah, uh, I do. Probably Dave Longevin's only goal. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's another, but well, that's another story. Is I get down there, I get back to Indianapolis, get my stuff. They stick me in a holiday in there on Hicksville Road, right? Uh huh. And um, you know, it's not like they've got a Marriott across from Nassau now, where you can probably walk to the rink. Right. You couldn't back then. And so I'm a little bit of a na- naive. Like it's a Friday, it's a Friday game, right? And um, so I go down and I tell the lady, I said, you know, <clears throat> back then you only had to be at the rink an hour and a half before the game. Like you know, go to the front desk and say. You know, can you order me a taxi? Mm-hmm. And she looks at me. She says, oh, love. He says, you know, this is Friday afternoon in New York. You won't get a taxi for an hour and a half. Yeah. Like, I'm now I am now I am fucking freaking, right? <laughs> like, I'm going, oh, my God. You know, what am I going to do? It's too far to walk. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. pacing back and forth. And down comes who walks down the stairs but Calgary's coach, Bob Johnson. Okay. And he sees me pacing back and forth. He figures out, you know, he says, are you with the Islanders? I said, yeah. 
I said, you know, I can't get a cab, you know, I'm freaking out. And he says, oh, I got one order. You can come to the rink with me. Oh, that's, you know, great. so, uh, yeah. So I get in the, I get in the cab with him and their, their team was, uh, the firm team back then was in Denver. So mm-hmm. he quizzes me on all the prospects down in Denver. That's the payment for the, yeah. the cab. <laughs> uh, no, they delivered me. I remember, and I was still late. Yeah. So I was freaking out about that. I said, oh my God, you know, like they're probably looking for me and, you know, wondering where I am and stuff. And I get into the dressing room and it didn't seem like Bossy and Trachi and Popman were really that worried I wasn't there. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and that was quite, I said, those are the two games. So it was quite an adventure. Uh, Tonelli came back, Johnny came back uh, the Sunday and against New Jersey. And then I got the, I got the assist on Bammer's goal there. I mm-hmm. think I must have just get into the corner and, and, and fed it. Um, I think it was a big time goal. I think we beat him 7-2. I got an assist on the seventh goal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they all count, right? Yeah, that's right. I got my I got my one assist in the record books, Joe. Yeah, and Bob Nystrom got the other assist on that goal. So it's not oh, no, it's not too bad. Yeah, it was Longevin from you and Bobby Nye. So that's not too bad. Yeah, good. Now, in the two games, did you come close to scrapping with anybody? Or well, I'm sure not in that Chicago game. But uh, any anything uh, any rough stuff happened in either of the games? No, I don't remember that, but um, I don't remember coming in close to any one of those guys. I know there's a picture in the paper of me. Um, I got my stick wrapped around Jim Pimpliski's uh, neck as we were going down. That's probably sure one of that was one of my penalties, but I don't remember coming close to a fight. Mm-hmm. I do remember one time um, almost getting in a fight with Mel Bridgman, and uh, that was preseason, and <laughs> I figured, you know what, the guy's just going like, thank God you didn't, you know. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, my old Bidgen was a pretty tough guy. But I can't remember yeah, oh, yeah. back then I really got into got into it with anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, Chicago and Calgary, not really big rivals. If if you played the Rangers, say, and the Flyers, uh, you might have had to do something. But uh, the two teams you played against, not uh, not real big rivals of the Islanders at the time. So um, no. overall, it sounds like that was an amazing experience, the short period of time you had up here with the Islanders. I have to ask you, even yeah. though, even though it was a short period of time um, in this household, Al Arbor is revered. We love him. And uh, my wife's a huge fan too. Uh, what was it like being around Al Arbor? Oh, he was awesome. I mean, he's the one guy that, uh, you know, he had so much respect from those players, you know, um, he just had the right blend of, uh, you know, fear, good guy. Uh, but those guys respected him. Like when he when he blew that whistle, you know he was on the ice. I mean, there was a lot of big stars on that team. Yeah, you know, um, those guys had a high high respect for Al. Yeah, um, yeah, really uh, excellent guy. Treated me really well. He, uh, <laughs> he used to call me Andy because the Andy Divine, the old cowboy store was old cowboy star back in the day i don't know if you can remember that probably can joe but no but i'll um, google it once we hang up for yeah sure <laughs> yeah andy divine andy divine so he used to call me andy divine he's an old cowboy old cowboy star but uh no he treated me really well um i really appreciated uh you know the way he treated me and uh, as in general as the way the islanders did um all the islanders did all the all the management and the players 
I, I say my personal Al Arbor story is when I was in uh, when I was in college and I first got my license. I used to go to Kaniac Park all the time, watch the practices and stuff, and yeah. you know see see the boys. I always see like Mick Lakota, Kenny Baumgartner, those guys, and I always just wanted to be you know just talk to Al Arbor, just say hello and everything. And you know you, you remember faces and everything, so everyone says hello. And uh, one day I, I remember I was talking to uh, I think it was Mick Lakota as he came off he was off the ice. And all of a sudden, someone smacked my ass with a hockey stick. I turn around, and it, hey, Joe, and it was Al Arbor. And I was like, holy shit, Al Arbor remembers my name. It was like the great, the greatest day for me. I was like, I can't believe Al Arbor remembers my name. Just the fact that he'd say hello to me like that. It was just, uh, just something like that, a, a little two or three second interaction. It just meant the world to me that that guy – this this guy who I think is the greatest coach of all time and just a tremendous person would remember my name out of all the people he would meet. It just meant the world to me. So I love hearing Al Arbor's yeah. stories. I just I love the man. I mean, like I said, my wife is a monster yeah. hockey fan too. So he is he is revered in this house for sure. I mean, and I love hearing oh, yeah. I love hearing other people talk about him, especially someone that played for him like yourself. So I appreciate you sharing uh sharing your thoughts on Al. Um, and then you, when you head back to Indianapolis, obviously you spent the rest of the year there and you uh, end up being back-to-back champions. Uh, you beat Birmingham. Yeah. Now, did Birmingham still have a tough team uh, at this point? So did you beat uh, uh, the rogue team in the league for the, the back-to-back title? Well, they, you know, they had a, they, the, the toughest team they had there was the world hockey team. And their yeah. teams were tough down there in the, in the Central League. Yeah. Um, but we had we probably had that year – uh, it was kind of more relief we won that year. We probably had, I think we kind of really ran away with the league that year, whereas the year before we really kind of were a little bit unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, that year, though, we ran away with the league a little bit. Um, and it was kind of a crazy, I remember that it was a best of nine We yeah. played Birmingham. I don't, know, I don't know why, but they had some tough customers on the team too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, they had a legitimate team back then, and they were, they were good. And, and But we were just... Uh, uh, we really had probably a better team that year as far as like pure talent and skill. And, uh, I think we beat them five to two and then the best of best of nine. So, um, that was a little bit more relief because, you know, we had, you know, we had a target in here because we had a real big year and we won the league, you know, the regular season. So that was a little bit more of a relief to win that year. And the following season, you went back for a third time. Uh, you didn't win this one. Uh, you did go nope. back for the third time. Uh, you lost to Tulsa. Um, yeah. Were were they an up and coming? Not, I mean, up and coming to a certain extent. Obviously, you know, if they have any any real talent, they might end up in the NHL. But as far as the Central League goes, were they uh, were they on par with you guys, or is that a series you guys should have won? Well, no, we we were we were on our way down then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have quite the team. I think we lost some of our players. And there's quite a story for Tulsa because that year uh, they, their team went into bankruptcy. Oh, wow. And they locked, they locked the doors on those guys of their rink, like I think in February. Mm-hmm. Wow. So those guys had – they moved to Denver and they played it at Denver. They played almost the last – all the playoffs and a lot of their season was on the road. Jeez. So uh, – you know, they really, yeah, they had a good team. Like George McPhee was on that team. I don't know why I think Cammy Connors was, but I don't think he was. He, but he may have been. Um, but they had a real good team there that year. And I knew it was like, now I'm getting up there, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, the Islanders were removing their franchise. So, uh, you know, I thought that might have been my last year there. I think I played one more after that. Or, mm-hmm. uh, but we were we were on the downside then. We um, we didn't have quite the teams that we had the year before. But um, you know, we took it. I think our you know we that year Denver actually I think had a better team than us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had such you know when you know you win a couple of championships, you learn how to win. Yeah, and I think we upset Denver uh, in the finals there. I think uh, uh, it was a two-three-two situation, and um, I think I, I think I scored an overtime winner in Game Five there, and sent it back there, and we won in six games. And um, uh, and then Tulsa was just, you know, they were the better team. Yeah, we ended up we didn't have you know, that was a strange year because we didn't have our rink. We played in a place called. A, Carmel Carmel Ice Stadium that seated about you know 800 people. I think was the last game they beat us there. I don't know why wow. we couldn't get in the rink, but yeah. Um, so that was pretty well. You know things were the writing was on the wall. I think the Islanders uh, moved the team to Springfield the next year, yep. and um, I decided to stay. Uh, I think it was just time to part ways with those guys. And um, you know they asked me if they had any interest in going, and you know my wife was set up with. Um, her business in Indianapolis and, you know, so just, you know, kind of getting the time through maybe stuck looking for a career after hockey. So the, that year, I mean, you mentioned you were getting up there in years. You still ended up putting up 53 points that year in 71 games. You had uh 201 penalty minutes, which was sixth in the league. It's the guy that finished fifth in the league. I wanted to ask you about because he has serious ties to the Islander organization. And I think he's one of the smarter guys that I'm sure you've run into uh, in your scouting and all your uh, post playing career. That's a guy named Chris Pryor. Uh, He played in Salt Lake. He was always a very physical player. Uh, What are your recollections playing against a young Chris Pryor, if any? Yeah, Serge. Yep. Serge is a, is a real tough guy, real Mm -hmm. tough guy to play against. I mean, there was a, uh, I kind of forgot about him playing against him, actually, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was a real tough guy. I got to know him years, I mean, obviously through the scouting area. What a tremendous guy. Yeah. Um, always enjoyed uh, talking to him. But another guy that I don't think we ever battled or anything like that. But yeah. um, he was a real tough character to play against. And, you know, not the, you know, Serge wasn't the biggest guy either. Like, yeah. and he's probably, you know. He might have been six feet, but he didn't like he probably didn't go over more than a buck seventy five, buck eighty. Right. Um, you know, but yeah, tough character. Like good guy, really good guy. Definitely. And another guy you played against that people will remember from Calgary or Washington, even Hartford wearing number zero, uh Neil Sheehy, who was with Colorado. Um <laughs> I think and also I think he played with Jeff Brubaker also, so there there were no nights off against that team, I guess. No, Neela was a real tough guy to play against. He was really heavy. Um, wasn't the greatest skater, man, but he, he got everything out of his talent. Um, yeah, he was a real warrior, Neil. Um, I, know, I remember Brew Baker a little bit, but I remember Neil more. Yeah. And, of course, Neil became a player agent, so yeah. got to deal with him a few times over the years. And um, real good guy. Um, but he he was uh, he wasn't much fun to play against. He, like, not only was he tough, but. He's going to give you the lumber too. So he was a tough kid. So um, I did reach out. Uh, one of your teammates got back to me, uh, a gentleman by the name of Kenny Leiter. And uh, I asked him about being your teammate. And uh, he said that Ebby was a great captain, not the most vocal, but played really hard. The one thing I will never forget was when we played one of the couple of games we got to play in Tulsa. 
He fought George McPhee, and to this day, I have never seen such a long, punch-heavy fight. No grabbing, just take one, throw one. Those two guys were pound for pound the toughest guys in the league. I see that Kevin has been involved in the NHL for a while. Good for him. I always looked up to him. He used to drive this big-ass Cadillac. We went out drinking one day after practice. I remember driving home in that thing. Every warning light was on the dash like a Christmas tree. Tell him I said hi. So there are so many things that I got to ask you about in that little paragraph. Oh First of all, what, uh, where does Ebby come from? Well, uh, uh, you make sure you say hi to Kenny, man. I, I will. I'm kind of, yeah, excellent guy. Yeah. You got a good memory. Um, I kind of forgot about Kenny a little bit, but yeah. you know, we ended up playing with the Islanders. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, Ebby came from, Ebby was my dad's name. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how, how he got it. You know, his name was James Edward. Yeah. And for some yeah. reason he got the nickname Ebby. So, you know, all my friends around here, would call me Ebby. And then of course, um, you know, that kind of carried on to when Gareth McGuigan was, uh, I was kind of always spuddy, uh, up in, uh, you know, spuddy up in Toronto, spuddy in San Diego. But then when I started playing with, uh, with my buddy Gareth McGuigan, um, from PEI, and I played with him, you know, in Indy, he always knew me as Ebby. So all the Islanders guys knew me as kind of Ebby because okay. he'd be calling me Ebby all the time. So, that's where that comes from. It was my dad's name. Okay. And, of course, yeah. we got to talk about this fight with George McPhee. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. George was like uh, – well, I remember he he ran over one of our guys. The game was in oh, – I guess it, it must have been in Tulsa, but for some reason – yeah, it must have been in Tulsa. For some reason, I thought it was a different rink. But, mm. um, like I said, I think he – you know, those guys played on the road quite a bit, but – um, I do remember he ran over one of our guys um, during the game. One of them, uh, my, my line mate, you know, the benches are right beside each other. You know, I was a captain of the team. I just looked over him. I said, we're going the next shift. Yeah. He just goes, okay. Yeah. So he went out there and it was like, yeah, Kenny described it, right? It was just, it was a pounding that was on. And then, you know, if I had to look back at it, George might've got me a little bit at the end of the fight, but. Yeah. I think I ended up cutting them, so I'm going to call it a draw. But Absolutely. yeah, it was a, it was like you know you see these fights today, and they just go like, people are going to look back on some of these fights. I'm watching these fights on Twitter, like, uh, who the hell was I watching? Ty Domi and Probert yeah. and Ty Domi. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, like the fights back yeah. then. I mean, these guys are big guys. It's just like, you know, people, you know, when, when fighting gets eventually. Um, you know, will probably be phased out yeah. at some point, you know, or it'll be the penalties will be, it'll be so strong that people won't do it anymore. You could always almost see it going now. Right. So, yeah. um, they're going to look back in that era and just shake their head. Um, the fights back then were just, you know, and then a lot of times, um, these guys weren't even wearing helmets. They were yeah. just, it was just, it was incredible. I see some of these fights, you know, me and George going at it. George is five, eight, I'm five, seven, yeah. you know, probably with, it was a great bantamweight fight, but some of these, I look back at some of these fights now, I'm just going to go, you know, in 20 years, people are going to be looking at going like, my God, what a savage sport, you know? <laughs> but it was incredible. I, I, I got to ask you about that Cadillac with the, all the warning lights on there. You still have that car by chance? <laughs> well, no, I had, uh, that, that car came all the way from California. Nice. Uh, that was my wife's car uh, and a big silver Cadillac. You know, you didn't... Uh, you didn't park that thing, you docked it. 
it was like huge. And uh, I don't know why the lights were on. Probably like you know what, I wasn't uh, Mr. I wasn't Mr. Car Mechanic. I don't know what, but you drive it around that big Cadillac. It was kind of funny because that that made a lot of miles and had the California plates on it too. And um, got a lot of few strange uh, looks going through the border with California plates and the Prince Edward Island license. It's a lot of explaining to do at times. That's the cool. cars were pulled apart at the border, like. Uh, people taking panels out of it and stuff figured I was carrying, you know, <laughs> yeah, I can always remember that car. That's uh, well, funny. That Kenny's. I, I will definitely send, uh, send Kenny your best. And now uh, we're almost yeah. done. I, I, I really appreciate your time here. Uh, I really do. Uh, we are almost done. So uh, I just wanted to let you know that, uh, your final season in Indianapolis, you played with some characters. You, you had some tough players in the team and maybe not, Players that not a lot of people that don't follow the minors would know. Um, probably the biggest name is uh, Glenn Johannesson, who played a couple of games with the Islanders. But you also played with guys like Rick Dorman, uh, Mark Magnin, yeah. and uh, Gordy Paddock. I think people know John Paddock, but Gordy Paddock yeah. was uh, was a pretty uh, physical guy himself. What do you remember about those guys? Well, I remember those first two guys, Rick Dorman and, and Glenn, a little bit, you know, um, uh, more of a doorman than Magnum. Those were the yeah. tough guys in our team. They were fun guys. Uh, Mags was Mags was real tough. Yeah. Uh, Ricky was probably my size. Mm-hmm. You know, just running around out there. But um, yeah, those guys were. I just type Doctor Rick Dorman. I don't know where ever ever happened to Mags. He's out in he's out in Edmonton somewhere. I've really lost touch with him. But um, I've not been in touch with Rick over the years. I think he's up in Milwaukee now. He's getting ready to retire. But just another smaller guy ran around, t- really tough guy. And Gordy was just—he was just young then. Like I mean, he must yeah. been just breaking in. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. the tall, slim guy and a tough guy, to, tough guy to play against too. But I don't think he had hit uh, the level that those other two guys had. I mean, he wasn't—he uh, wasn't, was a tough guy to play against. But um, you know, he wouldn't be in the category of those guys. Right. Now, I read something that year, and maybe this is, uh, I, I don't know if this is right or if it's true, but do you remember there was a fight between Mark Magnin and Chris McSorley where allegedly Chris McSorley bit yeah. the tip off of Mark's nose? Yeah. Yeah. Did that really happen? I don't... Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I said allegedly. I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Allegedly he did that, but... Uh... Yeah, that was a fight, and I think that did happen, but allegedly. <laughs> well, I think people that know Chris McSorley probably know uh, that uh, his reputation, he's another guy, like we talked about Goldie earlier. Yeah. Uh, Chris McSorley stories are pretty legendary. So even though I say allegedly, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it actually was true, but I guess you got to ask Chris or uh, Mark on that one. But uh, But Chris is definitely a character. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's quite in the Goldie category, but there's some pretty good McSorley stories out there as well. Yeah. Oh, he ended up, he was coaching there for a while. I don't know what happened to him. Yeah. I don't know either. He, and he was doing pretty well as a coach. So uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know what happened. Um, what yeah. led to your decision to retire? Uh, well, basically I was kind of forced to, um, you know, there was an ownership change mm-hmm. and, uh, the guy came in and he, I was kind of like the name around town. And, um, I think he just did it out of, you know, he wanted to be the guy he wanted to be spoiled. I'm going to cut Kevin Devine. You know, um, I wasn't ready to retire. So, 
um, you know, it really forced me into, uh, I wasn't prepared to, to retire at that time. And my wife had been pushing me to basically at that time to so start looking, you know, you're not going anywhere now. Uh, start looking for a second career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that came along and kind of, I just, like I said, I didn't expect it to happen. I was, wasn't ready for, um, I wasn't ready for uh, not playing hockey. I wasn't prepared more than anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was a couple after that, uh, it was uh, a year or two of, you know, trying to find, I ended up working for an insurance company and stuff. But it was kind of like, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good two or three years. Yeah, I, I wasn't ready to. I wasn't ready to quit, and um, I ended up um, leaving India and going coming back to PEI to go back to school. So that's what I ended up doing after a couple of the years of bouncing around uh, um, uh, from job to job. I just wasn't ready to, uh, and at the same time going through a divorce. So hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the greatest time of my life. I mean, it was. It was really hard after hockey. I've got to. Re- you know, you went from. You know, you went from everybody pat you on the back and buying you drinks to an insurance job where everybody's telling you to f off. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so that was tough. It was it was tough uh, back then. You you really, um, I know now today the, the players' associations involved and they help with players like that. But um, yeah, that was a tough time. So anyway, I'm I'm glad uh, that. Uh, I'm glad that you did well after this uh, period. You know, uh, we'll get on to that in a second. I think I have three or four more questions post uh, playing career, but I just want to tell people out there, um, you know, as far as uh, Kevin and, and his and his career in Indianapolis, I'm not sure if you're aware of these numbers. I'll just throw them out there. Um, first all time in Indianapolis hockey history with 542 games. Third all time in goals with 158. Fifth all time in assists with 194 fourth all-time in points, 352 points, and, of course, first in penalty minutes in Indianapolis <laughs> hockey history, 1,249. Wow. So, uh, so you're, you know, for, for hockey nerds like myself and especially guys that like the physical play, like, you know, I don't know what it means to you, but I think it's pretty cool because the reality is the story of Indianapolis hockey really can't be told without Kevin Devine's name being brought up multiple times. Well, that's I appreciate that, Joe. That's good to know. I mean, uh, I enjoyed playing there. Um, and I still, you know, they still got teams playing there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, even though it's a kind of a basketball state, I'm glad that you know that the, uh, you brought those stats up. That uh, that that makes me feel good. Now you've had a you've worn many hats for the Sabers uh, since you retired. Uh, how did you end up hooking up with them originally? Well, it was. Um, you know, when I, went, I came back to the PEI, I went, you know, I went back to school and, um, you know, it was just when the internet was getting going. So I was involved with that business information technology. Um, and, but while I was doing that, uh, Ottawa had the firm team in the American League firm team in here and they were kind of looking for a second assistant coach, kind of like on a volunteer basis. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, I saw it as an opportunity, and then I said, well, you know, then um, we hit it off there, me and a guy named Donnie McAdam, and mm-hmm. um, so I kind of got into, back into hockey um, doing that, so, uh, you know, when my when my schooling was up, I really didn't have any, uh, I had a six-month job contract at the Maritime Electric here, and then uh, then my career was kind of up in the future, so it was always, I always thought it was going to be 
you know, going into business information technology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, my last year after my contract was up at Maritime Electric, I got a call from Dave Cameron. And um, Dave, of course, had played in New Jersey and a good friend of mine from PEI. And, uh, you know, he was going up to coach uh, in Port Huron in the United League, and he was looking for an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Well, I had nothing going at the time. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. And um, I did that, and then as I got back into hockey now, the next year I was a head coach in Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. So um, Thunder Bay was kind of a different experience. Uh, uh, our team did well at the end, but uh, I guess I wasn't there. They're kind of a rough, tum- a rough tough, tumble crowd, and I don't know if I uh, had enough fights on my team or whatever. <laughs> but anyways, I ended up, to make a long story short, I ended up getting fired, and, uh, you know, as I was leaving town, I said, yeah, we'll be in touch with you, but I got a call, you know, about a half an hour out of town saying, like, they're not going to bring you back, so, yeah. uh, anyway, in the meantime, uh, a good friend of mine had played Indianapolis, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, had a lot lot to do with the Islanders, too, a guy named Darcy Regeer, yep. had just got uh, the GM job in Buffalo. So me and me and Darcy were tight as teammates. So I'd called him because I knew Rochester was looking for an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I called him up, he said, uh, Kevin said, we just filled, two days ago, we just filled that position. He says, but what do you think about scouting? Mm-hmm. And he said, we're looking for a pro scout to go out and scout the Western Conference in the, in the National Hockey League. And I said, sounds good. Yeah. So that's how I ended up, you know, ended up um, started with uh, with Buffalo doing the pro scouting out of Phoenix, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of like, you know, did spend six years six years as pro scout, and and they had that um, lockout of the year where they missed the whole year. Um, I guess that was two thousand four, wasn't? Um, yeah, oh four. You know, I switched over, yeah. I switched, switched over to the amateur side, which I've been pretty well doing ever since. Okay. So it's basically scouting the whole time. Now, this is, I, I think it says something. You played two NHL games, yet in 2017, the PEI Sports Hall of Fame selected you for the Islands All NHL team. And I think they put you on the fourth line. But that's, uh, those <laughs> had to be some. Now, I know you're probably going to say they had to fill out the roster, but those must have been two pretty impressive games to you, for you to be on the Islands All <laughs> NHL team, right? Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I never. I, now that you bring that up, I do kind of, kind of do remember that a little bit. Yeah. And I kind of thought, yeah, that must have been. Uh, they were trying to fill out the roster, <laughs> but hey, you know, I got my two games in. I can always say I played in the NHL, so there's that. Hey, man, that's two more games than most of us will ever have in the NHL. And your career, yeah. your your career is amazing. Take a backseat to nobody. So. Uh, but because of your current role and because of, of your stature in PEI and, and, and your job, I got to ask you about three guys, uh, two that are still with the Islander organization and one who was a part of it. And yeah. obviously two of them are tough guys. One of them isn't, but um, just three guys from PEI. First of all, uh, Brett Gallant. Now, to me, Brett Gallant is, I, I, for years, I've always had my, minor league enforcer Mount Rushmore and it was pretty solid and I never thought anyone would ever nudge anybody off that mountain but as I watch Brett Gallant's career unfold uh, this guy is just I mean tough as nails I mean Brett Gallant what do you say about that guy 
Oh yeah, like well, I don't know Brett. I mean, yeah. I probably uh, we probably have to say hi. Yeah. He's from up uh, Western PEI, Summerside mm-hmm. Way, where I'm down in Charlottetown here. Yeah. Well, you talk about a tough kid. Yeah. Oh my God, you know. Um, and his brother I've Alex the, too. Both brothers. His brother Alex too. Just yep. His dad was. Uh, their dad was really tough too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but and not the biggest guys. Well, what's uh, what's Brett? He might be six feet, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But I remember going back because we had Chris Barch working mm-hmm. for us, right, on the on the development side last few years. I got to know Chris and became good friends. And uh, I went back and watched, and, and Barchie was tough. Like, yes. Barchie is Barchie's probably 6'1", 6'2", 220 pounds, and he's cut. Mm-hmm. And he was a tough dude. And uh, I remember going back and watching those fights. He fought, I think, Brett Gallant three times. Yeah. I don't know if the same game or not. But um, I think Barchi might have won one of them. But Brett Gallant, uh, pretty impressive. Oh, my God. Yeah, real tough kid. And then uh, two guys who are currently with the Islanders. One is more of a finesse yeah. guy, Noah Dobson. And, of course, I got to end yeah. it with uh, big Ross Johnston. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I love Ross Johnston. And, uh, obviously, I like Noah Dobson, too. But based on the particular players that I gravitate towards, you know, Ross is one of my favorites. So um, yeah. in your scouting and everything, what what did you find out? Well, not find out, but what were your opinion on Noah and Ross? Well, Ross, we'll take Ross first of all. Ross played here in Charlottetown, right? Yeah. So I got to see yeah. Ross. He was really raw. Yeah. Like, I mean, his yeah. – uh, he couldn't – he was like – if he wanted to turn, man, he was like turning my Cadillac around. <laughs> he was like a big white turn. His skating wasn't very good, but there was something there, right? He was a big guy. He could skate. He could hit. And he could play a little bit, right? Yeah. He was like – and he just made himself a player. I remember, like, we had another guy on our team uh, or on scouting uh, for us, Al McAdam. I was running the scouting at the time. And um, we had a conversation with Ross trying to get him to to Buffalo. Yeah. Um, but the Islanders liked him a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, they offered him – I think they got him a contract right off the hop. I don't think he even had to try out. Uh, I can't remember now, but um, I remember like he's just he's a big, big kid that came from a farm, right? Really nice kid, really nice guy. Yeah. A lot of respect around here for Ross. Like he's him, and there's another kid here named Zach McEwen who plays for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, those guys really worked hard to get their skating good enough, get their skill good enough to play in the National Hockey League. So. Nothing but respect for Ross, for sure. And yeah. just so glad to see him, you know, land that contract that he did. Yes. And um, really, really well-liked guy. And now one of the toughest guys in the league, right? So Absolutely. Um, and Noah, excellent kid. Yeah. I really got to know him, um, you know, really followed him hard in his draft year. Uh, got to know his parents really well. And I'd be... I played over in Bathurst, which is a four-hour drive from here. Not my favorite place to go because it's a, you know, it's kind of a, it's a moose highway. Yeah. Uh, but I was there a lot. I saw Noah play a lot. Really, we really liked him. We had him really high in the draft. I was shocked when he dropped the twelve. Yeah. Like we had him, I think, uh, top five or six, and um, just a great kid. I mean, you got a really good player there. He is going to. Uh, He's going to be playing the Islanders for a long time. You got a real good one there. He's yeah. going to be he'll step in next year with with Tay's gone now, and uh, 
uh, and uh, Boychek retiring, so yep. he'll get his chance next year. But yeah, you got a stud there. Great kid, great family. I love it. So, Mr. Divine, I, I cannot thank you enough for this time. Almost two and a half hours here on the phone with me. You've been unbelievable. Thank you so much. And my final question that I ask all my guests, and uh, you know, again with you, like I said, as far as researching a lot of the records, you know, back in the day, maybe weren't the most accurate. But is there anything that I, I left out that uh, you'd like to be put out there about your career or anything else? You know, Joe, I got to tell you, you know a lot more about my career than I do. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty impressed. I'm pretty impressed with some of the stuff you dug up. So I don't think there's, um, you know, I don't think there's anything. Uh, I do remember this one time there that it was, um, I almost uh, got on the Canadian Olympic team. Oh, but really? It was a year. Yeah, because the Islanders, uh, uh, I was destined to go with Dave King. That was going to be a thing. It was a disappointment at the end. They didn't allow pros, I don't think, but that's about the only thing, really. Um, so I don't know. Besides that, that's just something that came into my mind, but um, not nobody really kind of knows that because it never really happened, right? Right. But um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, your researchers, uh, like, I mean, digging up that old Islander stuff and some of that stuff from Indianapolis, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever would be able to do that. You're pretty good. Well, I need I a research person. I'm going to call you. Oh, for sure. I appreciate that. I, I always say I'm not really good at anything, but I'm really passionate about this. So uh, it's it's a fun uh, labor of love, so to speak. I love doing the research. So uh, I'm just glad you weren't a, like a guy from Finland, a fancy fancy pants, pants Finnish guy, because I definitely wouldn't have any interest. I like the, uh, the lunch pal guy. So it was really uh, a pleasure doing the research. And it was really an honor to chat with you. I really appreciate the time. And uh, Good luck with everything going forward, and, and thank you again. I'll ask you again, Joe. All right. Oh, hold on. You got me now? Can you hear me now? Oh, what about now? Yeah. Oh, you got me now? Got you, yeah. Okay. So, no, I, I, I uh, like I said, it, the, this it, this uh, podcast, I do it for fun, and, and I love doing the research. It's uh, it's my favorite part. Well, second favorite part, obviously, the discussion is uh, is my favorite part. But I love doing the research, and uh, it was a real honor speaking with you. And I appreciate you spending all this time with me. Thank you very much. Yeah, very welcome, Joe. I, I enjoy it thoroughly to go back and, and talk at all about that stuff. You kind of you kind of forget a lot of that stuff, and uh, it was good to rehash all that stuff with you. I really, um, I really enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. Well, good luck with everything going forward and have a great night. Thanks, Joe. Thanks again to Kevin Devine for doing that interview. That was a lot of fun for me to uh, pick his brain on some real legitimate old-time hockey, uh, old-school stuff. I thought it was great. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, maybe after speaking with Kevin that there are some of his teammates from back in the day that uh, maybe I can hook up with and uh, and discuss some more old-time hockey with. That was a lot of fun. So, uh, as I said earlier in the intro, there won't be any episodes till the new year. I'm going to take the rest of this year off uh, and just, you know, focus. It's, um, you know, it's always a busy time of year with Christmas and New Year. And uh, everyone knows this year has been a very shitty year for many of us. And uh, even though I still consider myself fortunate, uh, you know, it's it's been a bit of a rough go. So, uh, for the next week, week and a half or so, whatever, I'm just going to focus on my family and uh, focus on Christmas here, New Year's, and uh, pushing forward 
2021 could be a pretty big year for my family. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, but anyway, I think Hanukkah is over now. So uh, everybody out there, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, have a great day. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you.